The Detroit Lions aren't the only thing blowing into Soldier Field on Sunday as it's going to be a snowy, snowy day full of good football, we sure hope, rivalry, and great expectations for Justin Fields and Matt Eberflus. It's a big day of destiny for the Chicago Bears, and Nick and I are here to take you through every single scrap of it on this episode of Bear With Us. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Bear With Us. My name is Robert Schmitz. I'm the editor-in-chief of Da Bears blog and host of this podcast, right here with my co-host, Nick Whalen of Football Guys, as we talk through everything about the Chicago Bears twice a week, hopefully three days a week here at some point, Nick, but that's that's our expansion team sometime later next year. How you doing? How's your week been? Uh, th- things are well. I mean, it's snowing and then melting, then snowing and melting here in Wisconsin. <laughs> and uh, I have had to shovel a few times, Robert, but I don't think that's anything you're doing down there in Texas. Snowing and melting, snowing and melting sounds like the way that the national media has talked about uh, about Jordan Love, honestly, for most of the season. So if anything, I guess it reflects the natural temperature there, right? Yeah, well, I mean, honestly, right now, it feels like he's like walking on water with what he's been doing. Now, so. they're, now it's snowing, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're 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 definitely bringing it. Um, I know I always add in some kind of like a little trivia question or something here, but I had uh, just a different thought because I know we're, you know, I think every Bears fan is grateful for the trade they made last year with Carolina, and I was thinking of how that trade could be different. I was curious what your thoughts were. Yeah. So, anyways. This is where my mind goes. If you're talking about three days a week of a Bears podcast, this is, you know, I'm always thinking about the Bears. So, okay, let's say the truth Carolina still happened, but instead of DJ Moore, the Bears had, and you can pick either Brian Burns or Derek Brown were the other asset. How much different do you think both teams would look right now? So pretty radically is what I think. Because first of all, I think that Darnell Mooney would still look pretty good. I think that the Chase Claypool ramifications would have been that much worse. Everybody keeps forgetting Claypool was on the team. Y'all, he was on the team this season. And imagine Bears fan fallout if Chase Claypool had been as bad as he was, but DJ Moore wasn't on the roster. So the moment that he was done, bada boom, you had the 2022 receiving core. Almost to a man. Again, plus Tyler Scott, I guess. So I think that the Bears would be worse, sure. But moreover, people like you and me wouldn't be making the argument that Justin Fields had enough. We'd say, well, we got a better offensive line. But come on, the receivers are still so bad that if somebody's open, I can't tell if Justin Fields trusts these guys or not. It is literally only because of DJ Moore, Nick, that I've been, I think, within uh, that I feel remotely confident being as hard on Justin Fields as I am sometimes because DJ Moore is that dude and it's worked out that way. I think he would have done a lot to help smooth out issues in Carolina. You only need like 15 to 20% of your passes to be directed towards DJ for him to make a big enough impact to help Bryce settle down a little bit, right? Right, Like take a breather, throw a screen, let him go get you 30 yards, throw it deep. Know that he's going to be there with a big window of separation. Everything we've seen with fields. And moreover, if we took the, if we took things just as literally, gosh, wouldn't it have been so bears for the bears to trade for Brian Burns? Then they would have extended him just like we saw with Montez sweat. And now he's been hurt all season 
<laughs> and that would just be so Chicago, wouldn't it? Yep, it would be. Yeah, well, it's it's just like the Claypool thing. They, you know, they're cursed, etc. Um, I, you know, does the Montez Sweat trade happen? It could be. It could be Derek Brown too. You know, could and, be, and he's a beast. Yeah, but- yeah, and then and then you think of like, okay, does that mean? You know, I was trying to think of if in that scenario of getting the defensive guy, if the defense would have been way better, maybe this version of them almost maybe. all year. And Chicago, maybe do they win more of those close games because they've had more, you know, camaraderie. They've had all off season with, you know, either one of those guys, if if they were healthy, you know, totally. and they keep the offense in games versus the offense having to score, you know, 30 points a game. I, I just thought it was an interesting, you oh, know, yeah. scenario. I love it. And I mean, hey. Here's the other piece of this season that I think is so important. Nick, you and I might have alluded to this early when we talked about the Broncos uh, defense. This was like way back in week five, week six, which feels like a near lifetime ago, doesn't it? But oh, yeah. one of the weirdest trends that I've seen in the NFL is that if a unit is really, really, really awful, many times they won't stay that way. It's something that I can't quite explain other than professional athletes having some pride in what they do and not wanting to be embarrassing, right? Because Mm -hmm. both units that were at the bottom, near historic levels, and in the Broncos' case, historic levels of poor defense, have rebounded because they basically ripped their scheme in half and started doing completely different things within the framework of what they do. Matt Eberflus, whether it's because he hired Phil Snow or not, we'll get to more of this later in our newfangled Q&A section, but <laughs> yeah. Matt, Matt Eberflus, it's almost as if he, uh, part of me wonders if he knows Mike Zimmer and has been calling Mike Zimmer because a lot of the stuff that they've been doing has really given me Zimmer vibes, right? Like major sim pressures, blitzing from depth, getting rushers in from out of nowhere amongst a zone drop defense that you wonder why it wasn't like this from Jump Street, but the mm-hmm. only reason it got there is because they took so many L's in a row, (laughs) like week Mm -hmm. to week to week to week that you just couldn't keep doing what you're doing because if you kept not blitzing, you were going to keep giving up third and 15. And Mm -hmm. so part of me thinks that the sweat trade ends up working out in a really positive way for Bears fans because it was the right move. But here's the big part at the right time. You had nine extra weeks of seasoning for Gervin Dexter. You had nine extra weeks of tuning for Jalen Johnson. Hey, even for Tyreek Stevenson and some of these other DBs. You know what I'm saying? Like mm, week yeah. one, TJ Edwards, not the same thing as week oh, 12, TJ Edwards. Not even close. Do you Have you ever done a like a survivor pool, Robert, where you pick like one team and they have to win every week? And- so I haven't done it myself, but I've got so many friends that do it that I've howled with laughter when they make very sane decisions. And then like uh, New England beats Buffalo. And you lose. Right. right. Yeah. And so so I bring that up because you talked about like how bad a defense was and then how they can flip things around. Because I, I think people forget how close, how much parity there is in yes. football. Because, you know, margins you know, are tight. Yeah. Any, any given Saturday, any given Sunday, like anything can happen and anything will happen. I mean, Kansas City basically got blown up by Green Bay. Who had that on their bingo card? Like you can go through so many things and you're like, 
I didn't think that was going to like last year, the Colts, the Colts beat Kansas city. And I was like, what? The Colts were terrible. So I'm amazed. I think that's part of it too, is that like, they have nothing to lose if they're terrible. So then they can try the new schemes. They can try this or that because they know the baseline is just so bad that they should take a chances on more picks, take the and, chances on getting fumbles. And this isn't college. The NFL, it like, obviously everybody's heard this before, but the shorthand for the NFL is not for long. And mm-hmm. if you just suck for 17 games straight, everybody's getting cut and yep. you're never getting a job again. Yeah. Like yeah. it's, there are going to be food, people food on the table. Worst case scenario for Matt Eberflus, he's going to get fired this year and he's going to have this long guaranteed contract. Bill Zimmerman is speculating it's a five-year contract. So, man, okay, I'm not an NFL head coach. I don't know if I would give up on my dreams for $20 million paid out over five years guaranteed, but it's a conversation at the very least, Nick. But I don't remember this coach's name. There was a coach that asked out of their deal in the NFL, like they, they were able to like void it themselves. What? And I'm trying to remember who it was. If it was Buffalo or it was AFC for sure. Was this a while ago? This was like mid 2010s. Oh my gosh. Someone's going to remember this. I'm going to bring it up. I wasn't paying attention enough. Unfortunately, I don't, it was someone where they were able to, I think it was a Buffalo. They unguaranteed their deal. Was it um, Greg Schiano or, uh, it was somebody like that where like they were able to like void out the years so and they were able to get paid like four or five million. And then I don't think they were ever had coach again. In the NFL. It was something weird. I'll, right. I'll, I'll, I'll remember it for the next time. It, it's all to say that the recent defensive turnaround is how Flus gets another DC job. Right. Oh yeah. Like the, if you don't do that, he may never coach in the league again, but you have to do these things or else Vance Joseph is out of a job and his yeah. family is in the hole. On account of it. Mm-hmm. So, and that, that's the other thing too, is people always have this connotation of, oh, this head coach sucks. And then when they get hired as a DC and OC, generally that's where they come from. They're like, that's a terrible decision. They were really good at being a DC or an OC. People forget that those jobs are very different than being a head coach. Very it's different. A, that, and that's why so many of them fail. That's why so many of them are good at one and bad at another thing. Like being able to organize coaches and lead the entire locker room is different than just being able to lead a unit or a few coaches. Like it's night and day difference. Oh yeah. Like how we see reports. I don't know if you've seen this, but reports out of New York right now are that Dable is a mother effort coach. Uh, and that's slang term that the kids are using these days for a loud and shouty coach that basically just degrades everybody. And apparently he and Wink Martindale are on the fritz right now. And I'm sitting here like, bro, Brian, Wink has been keeping you your job. Like, don't alienate the guy who's basically, like, driving the primary reason that New York is winning games right now, man. Mm -hmm. Like, Yeah. Yeah. Wink Wink is also a shout-out. Wink, WKU, my my alma mater. So There you go. There you go. Big big fan. Um, But all that to say that I can't help but think, Nick, maybe I'm being too specific, right? But when I look at this Carolina Panthers team – when I look at the fact that they lost DJ Moore and they simply could not replace him and that the defense that Carolina has, which it's produced. It's so funny. You look at advanced analytics and they say that the defense is like 31st. I don't see a defense when I watch them nearly week to week because I'm obsessive. Uh, that's that bad, right? Like the Carolina defense doesn't seem awful, but it's a reminder to me 
that if you don't have electric wide receiver talent, even just one field tilter for crying out loud, your offense in the modern NFL is going to hurt on account of it. And there's not really a whole lot of, I mean, look at the Jets. The Jets are the other ultimate example, right? Where it's like, if you don't have a functional offense, your defense is just not going to score for you like old defenses were. And you know, that's like, just like that. Bears have tried to build their teams for years. Speaking of Carolina, I know this is a Bears podcast. Did you see the the piece in the athletic of the the mutiny basically that was going on? Yes, but at the same time, I really am not too surprised because, I, at least in my experience, look, I I don't know what it's like to work in the NFL, but at the end of the day, there are some jobs that are just jobs, and when you have the overbearing boss less like thing number one every employee has to do is make sure that boss likes you because regardless of if your project fails it doesn't matter what the truth is because the only thing that's getting written on the report is what the boss thinks yeah and i'm just just surprised in the middle of year one it got got, they would they title like the hunger games basically of like surviving but didn't but here's the here's where nick maybe i'm being a know-it-all Right. But we knew you and me, two guys not connected to Carolina at all. You could see from the outside as close to what week six that this thing was a like it was a fire that was starting to burn. And Mm -hmm. I mean, it was crazy watching this because it felt like it bubbled over so quickly. But in the same way that we critiqued Matt Eberflus for feeling like he effectively lost control of the narrative around his own team early on in this Bears season. And hey, credit to him for taking it back. It does feel like Tepper is almost welcoming the target being on his back. And dude, no, that I don't think that's an attractive thing at all for, no, for no. the next guy coming along. I no. think I saw somewhere that it would be their, I think it's like their seventh head coach in about four years or something like that. Fact check me, everybody. But it's some ridiculous number in a short amount of time. And yeah, money talks. But when, I, when I've got an opportunity, like what Chicago might pre- represent, that's not even Homerism, by the way. I tend to think that there are people that are going to take the Carolina job last. Oh, yeah. And one person rumored to take that job also got rumored that the Bears are interested in this week. Man, this really is a bi-week podcast. We've got like five other things planned, and we're about to talk I about know, this, Jimmy Harbaugh, aren't we? Yeah, this, no, 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 no. I was going to Eric Bieniemy. Oh, I thought you were going to talk about the Harbaugh rumors that we just saw. No, no. so I, I went. I got into this because everything that I have heard from Bieniemy has been honestly negative, and I, I want to dig into the numbers because again, the numbers are the numbers. Whatever happens, happens. You know, every team has injuries, you know, things happen, bad luck. And people are like, well, look at how well he's done in Washington. Right. And in my mind, I was like, has he? So I dug into this. Okay. Just, uh, I'll try and be quick. Cause people are like, well, he'll be a good person or a good candidate for Chicago. And I was like, so just in Washington from last year to this year, and you think of last year, okay. They had Carson Wentz and Taylor Heineke started almost every game. Right. This year it's Sam Howell. And I know people are like, I still think that's an upgrade because last year was just bad. I agree. So um, you want to look at like expected points added by offense. They went from 25th to 22nd in terms of ranking. Uh, Expected passing, they went down from 23 to 25th. 
Rushing, they went from 25th to 10th. Okay, that's a bonus. Points per game went from 24th in the NFL to 22nd. Uh, points per drive. Yeah, points per drive, 27th to 21st. So that's that's a, a bump. Third down percentage went up from tied for 25th to tw- 17th. That's a good bump. Fourth down percentage, 20th ranking to tied for 17th. Uh, and the best one they had is red zone percentage. Went from 25th to 10th. So that's when you convert red zone trips into touchdowns. But overall, when you consider that like a lot of those, like uh, John Dotson, Brian Robinson, they were rookies, now their second year, and the upgraded quarterback, I was like, that was to be expected. They were going to be a little bit better. I don't know that I'm excited about Eric Bieniemy. Would you be excited? No, I made a joke about how I would take him as an interim head coach uh, on Twitter. I, I saw that. People, I think a lot of people took me really seriously. <laughs> <laughs> and there, there were some people that were like, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever read. And I was like, yeah, did you not get the anyways? It's I can't help but think, Nick, that one of the hardest things about football, right? You don't have this problem in hockey. You don't have this problem in baseball. You don't have this problem in soccer. You don't have this problem in nearly any other sport where coaching is so hard to separate from player performance because we can try, right? But when you look at a team like Washington, suddenly we're left asking ourselves, okay, but like how good are they? Like, are we underperforming? Are we overperforming? How much better do we really expect them to be? And then somebody goes, well, I mean, come on. They've got Jahan Dotson. They've got Terry McLaurin. And I'm like, sure, sure, sure. But Dallas, the number one offense, has Dak Prescott, C.D. Lamb. C.D.'s playing out of his mind right now. Plus a couple other ancillary weapons and some tight ends that are really coming along. Like, I could go through and do this for nearly every team, right? But then you suddenly you get all the way down to, like, uh, let's see, currently Chicago's 21st in points per game. That's just interesting, if nothing else. Kansas City is 11th. Houston is 10th. Like, you, how's Indy 8th in points per game, by the way? Like, I'm, I'm not trying to say that they don't have weapons, but Shane Steichen, in my opinion, is coaching out of his mind right now. It's, it feels like you know it when you know it, but I also can't help but think, Nick, that for as much as we love to hail offensive coordinators, offensive coordinators under conservative defensive head coaches are always in a little bit of a bind, I feel like, because in critical situations, I mean, the head coach does have a say, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, like, so I was looking this up. You no, know, because, the, I mean, the heck, it's your it's your show, right? Like you were talking about it. Like what does the boss think? That we don't, we're not like, well, what's this offensive coordinator's record, you know, in their career? It's right. It's, it, it's <laughs> that's like what's the head coach's record, you know, <laughs> like that's the whole thing. So he, I, I wanted to find this because it was, I put this on Twitter last week um, about Washington. I said the, one of the biggest, I think, mysteries of the NFL season this year is so Sam Howell is second in the NFL in passing yards. Okay. So you're, you're just saying, speaking of an offense, okay? goes a lot. Yeah. And you mentioned his best receiver, right? It's Terry McLaurin, right? I like Terry a lot. I think Terry's super talented. Terry's a baller. What do you think he's ranked in terms of receiving yardage in the NFL? Receiving yardage right now? Yep. So so is his, his quarterback second in the NFL. What do you think he's ranked? 24th. 29th. Oh, my gosh. Terry. He's almost, there's, there's that many receivers. I think there's a couple of tight ends in there, too. But, like, 29th? Like, that's baffling to me. Like, how does it even happen? Because there's some people that are like, well, it's a team sport. Well, yeah, but every team has multiple receivers or whatever. 29th. 
I'm just shocked by that. Oh anyway, let, let, let's let's get back to the Bears, man. We're we're getting away. We both aren't big fans of the BNME rumors. So okay. okay. So I have I have a hot start that I want to start at, and we've got a Q and A section. Thank you guys for submitting. Please keep submitting. It can uh, somebody emailed me. Email me. Link for link for my email is in my Twitter bio. I can also just tell it to you later in this. It's uh, it's Robert Kennan Schmitz at gmail.com. Real creative. I know. Dude, dude, but, well, here also feedback, y'all. I thought of making a joint Gmail with Robert. You know. You know, a bear, that's, bear with that's us. even easier. Yeah, something like that. W- email, would that be something you guys would like? That way you can just submit questions there. L- let us know. Just comment us or, know. you know, send us a tweet. So the bye week has brought out the wonderful statisticians. Okay, okay. I need to I need to restart this as we do this live, Nick. Just because I act I love numbers. I think numbers are so important. I I was originally a numbers person because I wanted to fact check the guys who said, well, it's on tape, figure it out. And then I became a tape person and have started to check the numbers that people will post numbers and the numbers don't match what you see on tape. And it drives me crazy because to me, Nick, numbers, I think, should always be verified with what you see on tape. The whole point is for numbers to tell you, hey, are you missing something? And then you go back and you watch it a second time because it gives you a clue on something you might not be seeing. For instance, I don't know if you saw this. Warren Sharp, I think it was, posted something that said uh, which teams are succeeding the most and where. And they they listed like uh, when they run the ball, by the way. So that's running to the left, running to the left side B, running to the left side A, running right side A, running right side B, running right side C. It was the Chicago Bears who won best rushing success rate on the right side C gap. You have a guess why? Because Darnell Wright can move, bro. And Justin Fields loves running to that side. Like, it's a perfect storm of all kinds of things that when you see those numbers, you go, actually, I do know what you're talking about because I've seen it, right? And one tweet I'll use, and I promise I'm not flaming Derek Brown because not only is he a wonderful, wonderful football fantasy or fantasy football analyst, but he's a great analyst in general. He yep. cited recently a tweet that said since week four per fantasy uh, per fantasy points data among 36 quarterbacks with at least 100 dropbacks, Fields ranks 36th in yards per attempt, uh, not 36, 6th in yards per attempt, 3rd in passer rating, 5th in highly accurate throw rate, 2nd in adjusted completion percentage. And you combine these kinds of tweets with the same tweets where people are saying Fields is 25th in adjusted EPA plus CPOE over the course of his season. And he started the season 32nd or whatever. You've seen it all, right? It's all kinds of numbers. Some painting fields in a really horrible light. Some painting fields in an amazing light. And I see stuff like this, Nick, and I, I can't help thinking to myself that I know whatever happens in these next five games, if it doesn't go well, there will still be people who will find the one game that is the Mitch Cowboys game of Justin Fields. Like this is, if it doesn't go well. How about the Mitch Tampa Bay game? Oh, oh sure. But remember the Cowboy game where Mitch basically rode along a phenomenal rushing attack, had a couple like dump off throws, one that Joe Buck famously said, what a throw by Mitch Trubisky on a sway, like a spear screen that Anthony Miller runs in for a touchdown. And then he pulls one zone read and he's a God in Chicago, Mm -hmm. if Mm -hmm. only for a week. And I just can't help but think, Nick, I want to make sure everybody speaks realistically about whatever happens going forward. 
because yeah. right now, I would say Fields has been, it's interesting because I looked at PFF, right? PFF has the Bears passing grade on the on, on the overall season as the 25th best passing grade in football right now. I think Fields is closer to, what do you think, Nick, is fair? 18th, 19th? Overall, well, well, based on what we've seen so far, well, we, we we can look that up. I think he's I think he's in the teens from what I remembered his individual passing grade. Because I mean, Bajans would be lower. Bajans Bajans would definitely be lower uh, yeah. a- after the first couple weeks. But it's more to say, Nick, that whatever happens, I don't want to be higher on Fields than whatever the tape says. I don't want to be lower on Fields than whatever the tape says. Because if the Bears are afforded this unbelievably lucky opportunity to reset at quarterback, I just want to make sure that. All as much of the fan base as possible. Hey, some people aren't going to want to see it one way or another, no matter what happens, oh, no. right? But no. as much of the fan base as possible can at least say what Fields is with confidence mm-hmm. at the end of the year instead of playing the will he, won't he when it comes to potentially him getting better or making him out to be worse than he is. In this and- case, it bothered me that Derek used stats that didn't account for the rushing, the fumbles, and everything that can go wrong when he doesn't throw the ball. Yeah, the fields sacks. we've seen this year, yeah. exactly, just like sacks. The fields we've seen this year, if he's throwing it, it's probably an open target downfield or a check mm-hmm. down with a decent amount of room. I'm completely mm-hmm. serious. Like, mm-hmm. Fields is not throwing the ball right now that I'm seeing when when that guy's not there. Like, he doesn't make a bunch of bad decisions if the ball leaves his hand. It's more the decision, like, I've just never seen a quarterback that turns down as many throws as he seems to right now that stays starting. But I don't know. I'm not trying to flame the guy. What do you no. see? I I mean, honestly, I think what, what makes this tough is we have, there's bias, right? I mean, I'm a Bears fan. You're a Bears fan. There, there's, there's so much bias in, like, the people that love fields, people that hate fields. But then also because it's such a complicated question because... Mm-hmm. The success rate of a quarterback is dependent on so many things. It's dependent on, you know, we the coaching, right? The receivers are they open, the offensive line. Like, you know, I even got in a debate because uh, you know, someone was talking about well, the offensive line is really good right now. Well, right now it is. Do we remember what it was like when the snaps were all over the place? And it was, I mean, I, I rewatched this last game and I saw a couple of runs that were like stuffed in the middle. Like, what's going on? Oh, then the I run looked game at, was bad until like well, the third quarter. But then Cody Whitehair was in there, and it was Cody Whitehair and Lucas Patrick. Oh, this is what it was like the whole first part of the year before Tevin Jenkins came on. So, like, that's added in there. And, you know, we talked about this on two episodes ago. There are things that Fields has improved on, like he's throwing the ball away. He's increasing his completion percentage. You know, I think he's he's doing things that are better, but then there's other things he's regressed in. And I think it's it's tough for people just to, to be completely objective on it. Like Like, even, like, right now, right? He is coming off of a bye week. Mm-hmm. I honestly, Robert, would would suspect this game to be his best game since probably the Washington game because that I'll, thumb has got to be probably the most it's been healed. I'll meet right? you there. It should be. We'll get yeah. into this in just a little bit, but he's fresh. You should mm-hmm. you should see as close to the fastest Justin Fields that you're going to get on a realistic like season to season basis, right? Like mm-hmm. he's he's fresh. Plus, he's going up against a defense that can leave a lot of things open. By Ooh. the way, just to me, or because I love using PFF as a second opinion, yeah. PFF actually totally agrees with both of us. 
right? Where Fields' overall offense, I'll start with his passing grade. His sure. passing grade right now, and I stripped out, I used minimum dropbacks of 20% so that we stripped out the guys like Tyrod Taylor that just yeah. haven't played much, right? Uh, right now, Justin Fields has a 66.8 per, uh, passing grade, which is good for 22nd in the NFL, just under Baker Mayfield and Kenny Pickett. Then when we look at Justin Fields' rushing ability, would it surprise you at all that with an 83, he is fourth best as a rushing quarterback in the NFL? That's He's about, fourth? Uh, oh, believe oh, it or and, not. Oh, not. Among quarterbacks? or the Among entire? quarterbacks. Um, Who's that? That's behind, that? would you believe it, in order, Brock Purdy, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Dobbs, then Justin Fields, then Josh Allen. So upside wow. down year for rushing quarterbacks. For an overall offense grade of 18th, which I actually think all of that squares with the eye test, where Fields really is that athlete. What he's doing improvisationally can at times save plays that I think an answer was there in structure. But when he turned away and did something else, at times he'll make a better play. Like I'm talking about a five-yard stick route that's not going anywhere. Fields has to dodge a tackler in the pocket, get out to his right, but finds Khalil Herbert on a pretty wheel up the sidelines that turns into 14 yards. The mm -hmm. improvisation is a dice roll. Sometimes you'll get snake eyes. Sometimes you're going to get a better play than you got the first time. And yeah. hey, if I was going to be optimistic, Nick, you got to think the long touchdown run is coming. Like, right, that's right. in there. But... The 22nd overall passing grade also meets my eye test of we can do more with the ball when we want to put it in the air and when we're playing within structure. If I wanted to see anything over these last five weeks, it's improvement in that specific area. Can I be honest, Nick? If all of the improv disappeared, but he suddenly started playing well within structure, you are going to hear me change my tune, and I didn't say a word about win-loss. I didn't well, say a word about passing yardage totals. Well, I would say playing in structure on time, but also over the middle of the field, because that's where he's missing the most guys that mm -hmm. are open. And and I think a lot of that comes with confidence, which we've talked about it. He's been lacking that. And just like the last throw, which, you know, won the last game, he threw that ball with conviction, and it might have been his best over the middle of the field pass. Mm -hmm. I can't even remember the last time it's looked that good over the middle. He's like, I'm throwing this basically no matter what, because he had to. Right. It looks great so it's like let's build on this like let's see where this goes from there but yeah i'm with you and you know one of the things that you talked about pff one of the things that fields has been talked about all the time is his high sack percentage and i really think that we need to put that into some context because again it's always context right you could be like well the o-line is bad i think i saw pff had the bears o-line pass efficiency like 25th or 26th this year but the pff has this allowed pressure um percentage so they put blame on o-line individual mm -hmm. player uh tight end running back whatever but they also have quarterbacks so the amount of pressures that are the quarterback's fault okay i'm gonna go down i'm, I'm gonna weed out the guys that don't have a lot of snaps uh because their percentage is high like aaron Rodgers is 100 percent because you can't right. play like two snaps got him aaron yeah, yeah. Sorry, it's all your um, fault, bud. The, the the irony here, you know. But anyways, um, <laughs> was it really your alliance fault, Aaron? I'm gonna I'm gonna 100% go percent rate. <laughs> I'm gonna go in top order, and all these guys are ahead of Fields, and I want you to tell me what theme we have going on here. So 
Anthony Richardson, again, not as many snaps, but he led with 28.6% of the pressures were his fault. Jalen Hurts, 25.1. Russell Wilson, 24.1. Patrick Mahomes, 21.4. Daniel Jones, 20. Gardner Minshew, 19.8. Lamar Jackson, 19.3. Justin Fields, 19.1. Josh Allen, 18.9. What do those guys have in common, Robert? Um, There's a lot of quarterbacks in there, but if I caught, if I caught it correctly, they all like to run. Exactly. So we have a bunch of guys that are mobile. And so that's, I think that's, you talked about it. You're sometimes you're going to get a great improv and throw oh, yeah. to Herbert. And sometimes you're going to go snake eyes and you're going to fumble when you try to step in between there. But Herbert. when you look at all those guys, a lot of them, people are like, those are the best quarterbacks in the NFL. And he's right in line there. So when you want to say like, these are all his fault. I think one of the biggest things I'd like to see him improve to the last five weeks is turn those pressures not into sacks because he's oh, yeah. his rate of pressure to sack is way too high but the pressures that are just his fault they're right in line with a lot of the guys that are mobile and top of the nfl and what gets so complicated to use an example nick is it like if if you and i sat down and we talked to one of the pff people that is charting what pressures are and aren't somebody's fault if i had to guess it has to be literal and it's not scaled to time if the quarterback wants to sit in the pocket for 10 seconds and then the offensive lineman finally gives up the block, I would bet you they're still going to charge the pressure to the offensive lineman that technically lost on the D lineman's eighth move, right? Just because if you're going to come up with an objective grading scale, it has to follow objective rules. And one of the assumptions you're going to make is that the quarterback will eventually throw the ball, right? Mm -hmm. And Justin Fields, this is where I think I keep coming back to the eye test. And I actually don't like doing this to be honest with you. But every time I look at Justin Fields on different graphs, there are so many moments where it feels like Fields to other quarterbacks starts to feel like an apple to an orange because I've never seen Lamar sit in the pocket for to the count of eight. But Fields did with Darnell Mooney hanging open over the middle of the field at mm -hmm. one point. And, and that's fine. It doesn't have to be like that play defines everything, Nick. It's more to say that one thing I would be really interested in is just if we got to sit with offensive linemen, what would they say, right? Like if we if we talked to not not maybe like an offensive line coach, but even just like an offensive lineman, and we talked to them and said, okay, so what do you want your quarterback to do? Like we hear from the quarterback all the time. We get amazing guys like JT, Chase Daniels, uh, or Chase Daniel, T Tim Jenkins, and then there's a fourth one that we look at, Kurt Warner an awful lot. I would love to see more stuff. Like, did you see those Vikings guys, the O-line committee? I didn't watch them. No, you should like, uh, not just the, you can watch the one earlier from uh week six against the Vikings if you want to, but it's torture. Don't do it. But they recently did one about the Vikings against the bears. And it's two former offensive linemen talking shop in every way that you've ever heard the, like every way you've ever heard JT do it, but it's completely different jargon. Like yeah. I'm so into it because suddenly mm -hmm. when they're talking about like five out protections and like, yeah. okay, we got seven up on the line because of that. This is what we're going to do. We need to be watching for this. And they talk mm -hmm. about the quarterback as if he's a dirty word when certain things aren't going well. And I think it's just got to be such a funny relationship, mm -hmm. right? All this to say, what is the point of Robert's latest rant that when it comes to, <laughs> when it comes to fields pressures, I can't help but think that, 
I want to see, I do want to see him get rid of the ball sooner. Part of the reason I want to see him play on time. Your first guy's not going to be open all the time. I'm not stupid, but when you, when you miss that first read or when you miss that second read or when you don't get to your third read, you're stuck in the pocket a lot more often. And I don't know if you've seen this feels to me like teams are emphasizing containing Justin Fields. They Mm -hmm. do not want him getting out of the pocket. So the answer is to throw and you have the time to do it. He's getting a four count in the pocket pretty consistently. Kudos Mm -hmm. to the bears offensive line. Whenever Lucas Patrick doesn't blow a block separate conversation. Uh, It's, it's a good thing. It's a good problem to have, but also if we can't make them pu- or if we can't make them pay, you may need to find somebody who can. And that's a complex process. It's not that easy. It's not that easy. But here's a question. What? Okay, go ahead. Do you remember all those Knicks teams with the uh that had Carmelo Anthony from back in the day? Oh wow, no, no. Okay. Do you? Do I mean, you I mean, know I, that- I know, but I'm I wasn't super NBA that's there. That's all. It's just that you loosely remember them, right? Yeah. Uh, they were bad teams. Part of the reason they were bad is because Melo was so ball dominant that any talent that the Knicks had on their roster didn't really get many chances to do anything because Melo was going to play ISO ball and you lived and died by what Melo did. In my opinion, the Bears are kind of in that state right now where part of the reason I want Fields to play on time, Nick, is so he can share the load a little bit, right? I want to take your burden away from you, Justin. So get to your second read, push to Mooney and throw him the ball because right. and he, he's open more than we're seeing. Well, okay, so a couple of things. One is you mentioned you but Lucas Pat you did, yeah, a lot. So Lucas Patrick is so is so bad, y'all. <laughs> that, and also last year, Sam Mustaver was so bad. I, I don't know what it looks like to have an average center. Like I forgot what the, the years of Olin Kurtz were even like in terms of because we talked I, I I thought this coming out of you know Ohio State that Justin Fields struggles with interior pressure more than anything else and he's never had that as a plus right now so i'm curious what that would look like in terms of him throwing on time if he doesn't have pressure in his face i saw it in minnesota these short drops but then he had the immediate pressure and then he freaks out and doesn't know what to do now the other thing is this holding onto the ball for a long period of time i feel like every uh, a lot of people have this i, I don't want to say everyone i hate talking to absolutes right a lot of people think holding onto the ball too long is a negative thing it is not because me as an offensive guy, okay, I like to attack defenses. Defenses, coverages specifically, are designed to stop pass concepts, pass routes for three to five seconds. After five seconds, it's freelancing. You're it's it's literally playground ball because you think of the big plays we've seen Aaron Rodgers in college, Johnny Manziel. Ben Roethlisberger. Think of the guys that hold onto the ball forever. We could even include Patrick Mahomes in here. Guys are all of a sudden wide open because the coverages break down. So it's not always a negative thing. You could hold onto the ball a long time as long as you talked about this, you're completing passes and making those big plays. So that might be the other part of this is if field starts doing that part of it, you're hurting defenses. Amen. If he's hitting those big shots, I'm going to zip up. I'm going to pretend I never said that. Not really. I'll Mm -hmm. own it. But it's like <laughs> it, if we get big time production out of those plays, hold it, camp out, eat a turkey leg like Thanksgiving leftovers, man. We got holiday coming up. Bring some ham. 
Like bring bring some desserts, right? Pour yourself some eggnog back in the pocket. Well, I, I think of the Eagles game last year, right? When he rolls out, he's going to run. Oh no! Oh, Byron Pringle, you're oh, wide oh. open for your only touchdown you've had as a Bear. Boom! You know <laughs> exactly. Like, exactly. Yep. The other thing I think about, though, it's funny you say that NFL DBs right now are so athletic, like they're so good that on some of these match coverages, I feel like Nick, the only window you get is the play sometimes like these defenses that we're seeing that were built to stop Patrick Mahomes to take away those deep shots, give them everything, but right. Those, the in breakers that we see, like why is the Shanahan offense killing like it is because it's basically a graduated dink and dunk offense playing in a league of people trying to take away the deep ball. And Purdy just flashes up a peace sign and says, I wasn't trying to throw it anyways. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and just throws everything else. And he is eating. Right. Yep. And there are some of these throws, man, like if if I was going to just pine, right? Like I watched Dak Prescott lay seed balls over the middle that I know Justin could throw. I know he's accurate enough if he could just attempt it, right? Yep. If he could see the window and throw with anticipation. And anticipation's a buzzword. I think that we're honestly at the point where anticipation's being talked about ad, ad nauseum, yeah. a little too much. but. Yeah. There are some of these balls, some of these openings in defenses. My favorite example is that Tampa 2 hole shot over the middle that Dak mm-hmm. made famous. You have to hit that with anticipation or the safety will get the ball. You throw that 10 yards late and somebody's jumping in front of that, it. That's, and, uh, that's the Texans last year, week two. Fields Fields tried one up the middle and it was a little bit high and it was picked. But little it was bit the high, a little bit late. And it looks easy when it happens. And then sometimes the NFL DBs are going to make an insane play. Like, did you see Derek Stingley's interception on Russell Wilson? Oh, my gosh. Nasty. Super athletic, like you're talking about. It's it just means that structure, as I see it, has become more important than it was five, ten years ago. Doesn't mean it's everything. It's not that simple. You're still going to need to be able to create, especially in like late downs or red zone scenarios in like the fourth quarter. You know what I mean? Like that's when Josh Allen toting the ball himself is going to light a stadium on fire and turn everybody against the away team and push him out the building. That stuff happens, right? But in structure, let's Joe Flacco throw for 250 yards out of uh, off of like the couch, right? Yep. In, in a different league than we saw 15 years ago. And that's not to say Fields' destiny is written. He's got five weeks to prove something. He had yes. a bye week to tighten everything up. And one more topic I want to get into before Q and A. I didn't warn you about this. Okay. Oh, look, I have something on that. Good. Is that cool? Go. So one thing that you talked about, I think this is an area Fields has not done well at middle of the field. The middle of the field, I think, is the biggest boom bust uh, yes. value right now in football because it, that's where I think most of your mismatches are, but also where most of your turnovers are tipped at the line. It gets picked to the linebacker. The, the most crowded windows and that's what he doesn't love right now but that's also where i think your biggest holes your biggest mismatches that's where you can get a lot of yards instead of trying to win on the outside which that's where i think most of your athletes are robert your best athletes aren't at safety they're not at nickel they're not at linebacker and so no. if you can trust that i think that's where you're gonna get paid because you're gonna just be like wow this is so easy here but and he has the height to see over the line. That's sometimes where the Kyler Murray's, Russell Wilson's, Bryce Young's struggle because they can't see. So I think that's one part of this too, where if he can um, 
trust that more, which, I mean, he did that at Ohio State. He throws those seam balls really well because he has the arm and touch that I think that it really could just revolutionize his game. And like you said, take it to another level. He doesn't have to become Brock Purdy. I'm not mm-hmm. asking him to be Brock Purdy. Mm-hmm. I'm asking him to be Jalen Hurts. Like, yep. hit enough of them to make the defense think you can, right? Mm-hmm. And that's not smoke and mirrors. This is something Jalen Hurts does in a lot of the games that the Eagles will win recently. I mean, obviously they got smoked by the Niners, right? But don't take too much from one game. Jalen Hurts will hit a couple slants to A.J. Brown, and suddenly the defense will adapt to, well, we can't let A.J. Brown run this line anymore. So then Mm -hmm. that opens up stuff down the sidelines, like you're saying. Russell Wilson is not a plus thrower over the middle. He's just not a negative throwing over the middle, and so he'll hit you with a couple scattered throughout the game so that you don't do what the Vikings did and basically just leave the middle of the field yawning open and say, I dare you. I double dog dare you to throw the ball over the middle of the field. You know, one thing that was so funny that I I dialed in the the big pass play to DJ Moore, the big dagger, right, to Mm -hmm. win the game, is I watched that. It took so long to develop that Cole coming on the opposite side of the trips, chips, then leaks out like he's going to almost wheel back to that trip side. And the only guy that would have been in the middle of the field that they left there Jumps to on undercut, Cole. he he's like, oh, I have to go cover Komet and just leaves it even more wide open for DJ Moore. I like mean, it just open for days. Right I mean, now. just yawned beautifully yeah. open quarterback yeah. dream, honestly. Yeah. And all that, by the way. OK, so little bit of a segue. There's one more thing I want to talk about before Q&A. Are, and are you ready? Because this this could get even more contentious. There was something you called for, Nick. I think you were smart to call for it. You called for Luke Getze's job just before the bye week. I did. He did not get fired. No. So I, I want to ask you, you can put on your tinfoil hat. You don't have to put on your tinfoil hat. Why do you think Luke Getze is still the offensive coordinator? In the battle of trust between Justin Fields and Luke Getze, is Luke Getze winning? I, I don't think so. Um, but there were some, like, I didn't read all of it, but there were, I heard some little, like little snippets in the press conference today that Falouse like, wasn't siding with Getsy. He was like, yeah, we should have thrown down the field more. But to me, I think that right now there's been so much turmoil with the coaching staff. He feels like he can't do it. That that's where my gut says, even despite what, how last game was called, which by the way, everyone, all of those screens weren't bad calls. Like. Right. The last one that I remember where uh, Fields ran for a decent gain and then we threw one to Darnell Mooney and then the next run by Fields was the the last fumble that he had. Mm-hmm. That one to Mooney, if St. Brown makes the block in the corner, which he had one-on-one, he has the size, he can do it. There was at least 10 yards for Darnell Mooney. I think it was wide open. It was like called perfect. So all of them weren't bad decisions. I know we were right. kind of annoyed with them, but so it's not a terrible game plan, but I think that he's just married to that because the running backs coach is gone. The defensive coordinator is gone. And and also at some point, what's it look like if you get rid of all of your assistant coaches when you hire them? It comes I'll, back to the head coach. I'll tell you one thing I think has been funny about Getsy. You're allowed to skewer me on this if you disagree, right? For as many times as we've talked about how Getsy needs to be fired, blah, 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 et cetera. I don't think it's looked near as bad as it looked in the Nagy era. I mean, to use an example, Luke Getze pivots from a passing attack that I think could have worked, but it wasn't working with Fields. It has constantly looked like he and Fields are talking past each other. Do you feel oh, yeah. that way? Like oh, yeah. 
It's it's ugly stuff. So then they go to the screens that at times felt like double middle fingers to your quarterback, but then he calms down, commits to the run, and unironically grinds out the two drives necessary to win the game. Nine mm-hmm. to three felt like twenty-one to th- to seven. Like I mean, I remember that game. Nine to three felt like a ton of points, and you still had some crappy screen calls. Oh, yeah. I'm not trying to make it sound like Luke Getzey is good. I'm trying to make it sound like Luke Getzey is not abysmal. Like you see enough decent designs chained with enough. Hey, that was on the right track. Why did we do it this way? Kinds of ideas where. You get this funky situation, Nick, that honestly sometimes I have hard a hard time parsing out of like, how well are we coaching this? How much of this is Luke's fault? How much of this is like the OC, or the offensive quality control guy who like, we don't know his name, but he just didn't drill the details, right? You know what I'm saying? Like all the stuff that goes on with a 50 person coaching staff, like how deep does this thing go? Whose fault is what? It's messy right now you, but, you, but i i don't know like i i i see where you're going with that but i at no point do i think wow getsy's in his bag he's calling a great game right like, i don't i don't feel that at all because oh, i bet you thought that in washington because because we saw the um last part of last year happen and then the first part of this year we're just polar opposites and actually i'm going to segue that into one of the q a questions because nice. i think it leads right in are you okay with that a hundred percent. So I I don't know who you know who SQA is. Do you want to like or just put uh, SQA? the username was SQA. That's all okay. I got. All right. So SQA, this is your question. And I think this leads right in this conversation, which is going to be even more juicy. So SQA asks, was the offense designed for Bryce Young? Question mark. During your recent live stream, so not mine, obviously Roberts, uh, going over the Minnesota Chicago All 22, I noticed the few over the middle looks came with the Sean Payton. Reads tied to blocking scheme for passing lanes or something approaching that. It might have been just happenstance, but it got me thinking the offense looks a lot more tailored to year one rookie like Bryce Young than a vertical passer like Field. So I'll, I'll go first year. I 100% agree with that. I think that this is not there. While there are runs designed for Justin Fields, I don't think that this is. Josh Allen type offense, which is right. kind of what you need for a Justin Fields. This is a lot more the Tyson Bajent, this, hey, we're going to try and tie things together to make things make sense and make Justin Fields fit my scheme more than I'm going to fit Justin Fields. And we saw him fitting Justin Fields last year. We haven't seen that this year. And so in my opinion, and you're talking about, you know, marrying the the blocking scheme for passing lanes. Um I would say yes and no. I think some of that's tied to splits. I w- if that was some married of it is more, happenstance. right? I, I mean, to me, if that was married more, like the we remember the one early in the early in the game, we had the rollout and Justin Fields rolled out a little bit too far. Mm-hmm. He could have set up, but also Cole Komet didn't attack the end. And then later in the game on the goal line, we saw, I think it was Tyler Scott or Darnell Mooney blocking an edge and he and got pushed right back into Fields and he had one receiver DJ Moore and he throw it away like. Um. This this doesn't look married to me. So I would say, yes, it would be more of a Bryce Young thing, but also sometimes it doesn't feel like it's a perfect marriage, and I don't think Luke Getzey is in his back to answer kind of both questions into one. So when I try to combine what we saw in weeks one and two, and week, week two was so bad that when the offense looked like it had no direction in week three, it honestly, to me, looked like an offense in progress that had not finished whatever their new plan was yet. 
But so week one, week two, and smatterings of what we saw now, just like Minnesota, makes me feel like, Nick, we're looking at the bones of Luke Getze's Joe Moorhead, RPO, digs over the middle background, right? He would mm-hmm. consider it a college offense, which kind of bleeds into that universal football. You mentioned Tyson Bajan. It's more to say uh, SQ, SQM. It was SQM, right? SQA. SQA, thank you. Uh, I don't think it's Bryce Young specifically, but I do think it was geared towards an every quarterback. Does that make sense, mm-hmm. uh, Nick? Mm-hmm. Whereas, and this is where I think people have gotten the Lamar Jackson com- comparison correct, but for the wrong reasons. I don't think Justin Fields needs this veer offense, but Lamar Jackson's early years in Baltimore, they tailored the offense so exclusively to Lamar that it did not make sense for any other quarterback to run that. And right now, Justin probably needs a couple of those. Now, there are plays just like the one you mentioned. I mean, it's not like I would love to see Kmet attack that D end more. Also, I would expect the quarterback to make the tight end right because that's a D end on a tight end and you're not expecting to win it on the inside. And if you don't, you just settle your feet down and drive the ball to the corner to more, but that's hard. Like I'm not expecting the quarterback to get everything right, Nick. That's Mm -hmm. unfair. Yeah, that's not fair. But the more that you can chip away and get more right than what I feel like fields gets right. Sometimes you can emulate that structure while still creating with that improbability, right? Because the moment field starts moving with his feet, the defense pays attention at this stage. And yep. that's a good thing. But it, all that to say, because I can't remember if there's more to the question or not, but mm-hmm. I don't think it's exclusively Bryce Young they were aiming for. But at the same time, if you dropped, gosh, okay, so I have the PFF passing list here that I'm just stalling to navigate to so that I can uh, <laughs> like just see a bunch of quarterbacks named really fast. But if you had uh, Jared Goff, Justin Herbert, Pat Mahomes, Jordan Love, Derek Carr, uh, maybe not Kenny Pickett. He's really struggled over the middle. Jimmy Garoppolo, Kyler Murray. Like uh, you get what I'm saying? Sam Ky- Kyler's not great over the middle, but yeah, the other ones. Kyle's been hitting Trey McBride, but you're absolutely right. that Normally yeah. he'd, he'd prefer to avoid it. I'm more yeah. thinking like, you're, you're every quarterback, the boring yeah. guys, right? They might do pieces of this Getsy offense better, but they're not hitting a 25-yard slot fade. Uh, what was it? No, it was closer to a 32-yard slot fade to DJ Moore that DJ Moore barely touched that second foot down. Just those guys aren't hitting that throw if he against did. Denver. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. So so that was just one Q&A question. We have a bunch of other ones. I want to jump back because that was offensive talk. I want to talk about what's going on with the Lions quickly, and then we'll go back to the rest of the Q&As because there's some coaching ones and some other ones. That's great stuff in there. Season. So the Lions, right? I mean, they're, what a team. They're, they're, they're doing well, but also like what is going on? I mean, they've lost – let me look here. They've lost three games. Um Chicago should have won that game. Then they turn around and lose to Green Bay. And then they were up 21-0. And then they beat the Saints last week by five. And I can't help but think they're, they're slowly kind of deteriorating as this like juggernaut into like they're just a good team. Or maybe they're almost being a little bit more of a lucky team right now. So here's some interesting numbers for you, Robert. Because I'm not going to get into the big breakdown. I always do. This is kind of a mini breakdown because we already did that two weeks ago when mm-hmm. Chicago played. Detroit. So the last four games, the the uh, can't talk. The Detroit defense allowed thirty point two five points per game over the mm-hmm. last four games. 
and 373.5 yards per game, which is significant. The previous eight games, it was 20.6 points per game, so almost 10 full points less. That is humongous, Robert. And then 297 yards per game allowed, which is, look at that, what, 76 less. That's a big difference in their defense. And another big hit to their defense is they just lost Ali McNeil, who's a really good D lineman that's took a step up for them this year. So he is on IR. He is not going to play. Alex Anzalone might return from a hand injury. He might not. They're linebacker. So they might be down a little bit more. You talked about Justin Fields. We talked about Luke Getze. <laughs> and this opportunity for, I mean, it might be a snow game. It might, I don't know what's going to happen on Sunday. But the Bears are going to have an opportunity to put up some points here, Robert. This is a this is not uh, a shut them down defensive game. We're not playing, you know, Cleveland yet. That's in a couple of weeks. This is, a, a, I think, a, a vulnerable Lions defense that the last four opponents we get Justin Herbert, Derek Carr, Jordan Love, and Justin Fields. I mean, besides Herbert, none of those guys are elite. So they're making non-elite teams put up thirty points a game. That's bad. We are going so every time. We go through a game like this, right? I want to be somebody because I know I've been relatively down, not maybe not down, but definitely a little more brash about what I think about Justin Fields right now. And I need Justin Fields to talk me back into him, right? And to me, this game, win it. Like, and ideally win it scoring more than 20 daggum points, right? It, it gets kind of cheeky when I say, just find a way to win the game. And then Justin Fields scores 12, what should have been 15 points. And the Vikings D offense is so bad that that's a winning score. And I go, okay, I, I meant a little more than that. But, right, right. <laughs> but beggars right. can't be choosers. Like, yeah. I'd rather you win ugly than back to good old Nick Foles, right? Than like lose pretty. Mm -hmm. Cannot believe that left my mouth. Anyways. What happened? This is not a great week to lose pretty. It's not. The Bears need to start, I think, if they want to get to 7-10. and 10, I know Cole Komet wants to make, go 9-8 and eight, make the playoffs, right? And if you want any of that dream to come true, you got to win this game. Because next week against the Browns, you're looking at a slobber knocker. Who's to say you're going to lose? I didn't say they were going to lose. But defensively speaking, especially if they get Denzel Ward back, you're looking at a tough one. Right. Yep. So yep. you got to take the bird in the hand with this. Do you feel mm -hmm. this way where it's like their coverage units have been awful. Their pass rush is the only reason their defense is getting nearly any stops. And would you believe it? The Bears offensive line is making those pass rushing stops really, really tough to find against like against Chicago. So this is that moment where if the Bears wanted to open up a can through the air, you'd think they should be able to. You mentioned PFF. They've got positive run block or run stopping grades for the last three weeks in a row. So it's not that the Bears should expect to run the ball like maniacs against them. You got to do it through the air. That's where this Detroit team is getting their teeth kicked in. And that's a big test to me for Justin Fields because that's where he's been a little lacking, you know? And and then you add in too, you know, we remember the last play of what happened with Fields against Detroit when he had to lead, the, you know, Darna Wright got bull rushed by their best pass rusher, Aiden Hutchinson. But that was Darnell Wright with a bad shoulder. Now he's had a bye week in between here, and he's more weeks removed from that where he could be the healthiest he could be too. So when you think of like in terms of, you know, 
this this O line all together. I mean, the the injury report for Chicago, everybody. Noah Sewell, I think, is the only one that was like uh, limited participant. Like everyone oh, else no. is like, what are we gonna like, do? Like, 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 we're we're back. This is it. Like, there's no we're like, back. oh, like, yeah, yeah. Michael Jordan, I'm back. Like, We've gone. We're back. I mean, it's this old line is at full strength, and there's you don't have the excuses because if you have full strength Darnell Wright, who's already went up against Hutchinson, and the rest of that D line, which they're losing their best interior defender, and like you're saying, we have to pass. Like, this could be a humongous game against a vulnerable, vulnerable defense. Like, I'm low key excited. Oh, I mean, I think it's a pivot game. I really do. Like, this is a game that I think every single person on this Bears roster needs pretty bad, especially the top guys, right? Like, Kevin Warren, look, let me put it this way, Nick. Diana Rossini puts out a an article or some kind. I, I, she's an insider now, so I, I, sometimes I don't know what piece of content it is, right? But she uses Sources. terminology like, Matt Eber, or can Justin Fields save Matt Eberflus's job? We're seeing more and more of these articles pop up almost as if Eberflus is on the outs and needs to work back in. And yeah. if that's the case, I got to tell you, man. Okay, so let me, you put yourself in George's shoes. If that's the case right now, then chances are if you do go 0-2 against the Lions, and then you do win two more games against the Cardinals and the Falcons, and then you lose to bookend it against your hated rival Green Bay Packers. I mean, that's all the statements you needed, right? Like, there is a narrative where even George McCaskey can see here, no, you beat up the bad teams, but you lost to all the ones that mattered. Like, why are you the guy to lead me into the future? And I don't say that with any particular kind of passion. I don't like calling for people's jobs. But no. No. This is a game where you and me, Nick, could easily be won over if the Bears come out absolutely firing. I mean, you're at home. You need this one. You have one divisional win, and you beat Josh, Josh Dobbs to get it. Hey, you play mm -hmm. the guys on your schedule, but you had this team. Well, Doesn't it feel well, like they're owed a win against the Lions this year? Well, that, and also, let's go back three months, Robert. I made a big, you know, our prediction show. Oh, I made yeah. a big deal about rest, rest. right? When rest matters. I think it was, you know, off the top of my head, 57% of the time, you have better odds of winning if you have three or four plus days of rest. The Bears are coming off a bye. Detroit was at New Orleans. So they have not as much rest. Now they're traveling to Chicago. So Multiple things are in their favor. I know Detroit has been a better team this year. Chicago has underachieved, but things are aligning. Plus, Frank Racknow might miss the game as well due to a knee, oh, um, which isn't good either. So, okay, that's that's all the Detroit stuff. Do you want to go predictions or do you want to go Q&A? I think we go predictions and then we go Q&A because it doesn't make sense to do anything else, right? Okay. I'm, I'm going to let you go first because I think I went first last time. <sighs> all right. So I'm really interested to see what the Lions do. They play so much man, so much man. And this Lions team in particular has just had a real hell of a time trying to contain Justin Fields. The only time that they have contained Justin Fields on the ground is when Justin Fields hurt himself on such a long touchdown run that he couldn't quite finish it. And then he didn't have the juice to keep out running them. They do not have that luxury this time. Justin Fields is coming off of a week of rest. So 
unless the Lions have something up their sleeve, the Bears are going to score. But I also can't help but think, Nick, that so this Lions offense or defense has given up all kinds of points. I'm expecting the Bears to score, let's say, 20 points, right? And I think that's a pretty healthy number. But I wouldn't be surprised if the Lions offense is going to emphasize taking care of the ball. I wouldn't be surprised if the Lions are going to enter this game. If I was you, Nick, not you, but if we were uh, Dan Campbell, I would say, you almost gave them this win. This time, you're not going to give them nothing. And that they're basically going to turtle up and play as conservative an offense as they can. And in so doing, I wouldn't be surprised if they've got something up their sleeve, right? Just because this is a Lions running attack that can threaten you in a lot of different ways. It's strength on strength at that point. So maybe the Bears defense just shuts them out. That's very possible. But I tend to think that the the Lions have a shot here to win a slobber knocker, especially because the Bears haven't had as many offensive turnovers as I think I would have expected. And this just seems like the kind of week where it might break away from them as the ball gets slippery. And I mean, you know this, bad teams, sometimes you don't know why they're going to shoot themselves in the foot. You just know they will, right? And maybe I'm seeing the Bears as too bad a team. I hope I'm eating crow after this one, but I see a loss 20 to 24. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, what is the weather report like? Because I've heard uh, my some... understanding is snowy and blustery, but let me look it up while you talk. Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, a lot of the points that you have, I mean, I would feel probably worse about this if Detroit came back after playing poorly against Chicago, but then they played poorly against Green Bay, then they played poorly Same. against New Orleans. And New Orleans is beat up, y'all. I mean, they were missing multiple, multiple guys, and they came back to within five. Now, again, both of those games were, you know, uh, on the road, I believe. But um, I, I'm going to go. I was going to go 31-28 if the weather was good. If the weather is bad, I think I'm going to go 27-24. Who takes it? I I I can't be a homer. I'm going to go Detroit. I honestly, I would have been so with you and behind you cuz I think this is a 50-50 game, especially yeah. because I found some weather-related information. How do you do with the cold, Nick? Me? Yeah, you. Okay, when I'm out coaching or I'm playing football, it sucks. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's it's different up here in Wisconsin, Robert. You're down there in Texas. Well, what is cold to you down there? Okay, come on. I'm, no, no, I'm yeah, it my family's from Connecticut, so I know what cold is. Like we go up there once a year. I'm about to oh, go what, skiing what? in Park City where the high is 23. So oh, wow. we'll have to figure out what we're gonna do post-game because I will be in Utah for a good Ooh. little bit. I was in Utah this summer. Nice. Oh, man. I bet it was way more. Be- well, depends. If you like snowy, I bet it's going to be gorgeous. But so the Bears, by the way, we've got forecast of snow, low of 34, high of 39, wind chill of 28, 16 mile an hour winds. So you know what? Not frostbite, but no. chilly enough that a dome team. Hey, here's the part nobody's thought about. Chilly enough that a dome team might be a little more uncomfortable than they thought they were going to be. But if I had to guess, man, of all the football guys out there, I bet you Dan Campbell had him practicing out in the weather, like in Detroit, all week long. And I bet it was pretty cold in Detroit. 
So now that I, I mean, you think of that, that's over freezing, you know, it, it can't, the snow can't stick. It can't be that bad. Right. In my opinion. I mean, we're not looking at one of those epic six feet of snow games or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah, no, it's not, it's not one of those. So, I mean, the scoring might, I'll still, I'll still stay 27, 24, but I think it could be the over. I don't know what the over under is, but I think it could hit uh, an over there. I was actually um, just reading something, by the way. Uh, from Action Network by PJ Walsh, because we like to cite our sources on this show, that yeah. says 96% of the money has come in on the over. Uh, and the over-under has dipped from 45.5 to 20.5. So both of us just talked <laughs> talked about the over-hitting. Wait, wait, wait. 45.5? It can't be 20.5. Sorry, it, f- it fell to 40.5. Oh, it's got to be over. Holy buckets. <laughs> oh, it, 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 y'all. Okay, let, let me. Okay, again, this is not ninety-six percent of the money came in on the under. Yeah, so this is a, this is a bears opportunity. Podcast. This is a bears podcast. But okay, if you're into the you know the betting stuff, okay, remember the last four games Detroit is is averaged that includes Chicago giving up thirty point two five. That would require Chicago or or I'm sorry Detroit to score eleven points and you hit the over. Like, come on. Oh, Over's yeah. happening. Okay. Let's get back to the Q&A. Ethan, whoever Ethan is, I don't know. We'll, we'll just go first names. Ethan here. Now, again, I, I tried to uh, put these into, like, categories, so this is still coaching. Ethan asks, with how much all Bears fans have been focusing on the defensive scheme this year and a resurgence in defensive football in general, have you revised your preferred scheme are there high-level takes about the defensive side of the ball that you have found over the past year of evaluating Fluce's mistakes? I'll let you go first on this one. Okay. Um, first of all, one thing that I've found, first of all, yes. But big answer, absolutely. I think I've narrowed down what I see, what I want to see from modern defenses more so than I used to, right? I think pressure looks are in, baby. Like, not just blitzes. It's more the possibility of pressure does a lot to offensive lines that at times will let you i mean i would say nick probably on 10 15 of these like seven seven up looks you can squeeze one of your basic four rushers straight through the defensive line or straight through the offensive line you, you generate mean like, some- you mean you mean like when justin fields had the out that he missed to dj moore Daniil Hunter came straight straight through and then, For, and, then, and then barely got hit by by a running back and then I, oh he missed him I wonder why he missed him Daniel Hunter yeah was that was super tough I have no oh, idea that's not one of my L's <laughs> that I dished him with. Like, like like which D lineman do we want to make sure we block no matter what bro mm. you say that like they didn't do it the entire game anybody oh. on the outside took the outside most guy I don't get it like, that's one of those where we'd have to bring Chris Morgan on and be like, so you obviously did this on purpose. Why'd you do it? Right. Yep. But anyways, so pressure fronts and then I think dropping into zone. I mean, it doesn't have to be exactly like the way Flores is doing it. But for as much as guys, wonderful analysts like Robert Mays, Nate Tice are talking about a lot of these man defenses. Goodness, Nick, the moment you eat injuries in the secondary in your man defense, you've got a bad corner taking on an NFL elite receiver nearly every week. And it is, I think, a recipe for disaster. But also, passivity on defense 
allows opposing offenses, often loaded with talent, to pick you apart. We learned that the hard way early this season, where the Bears' run defense was always good. I've never seen a defense give up this many third and longs. Have you, Nick? Like, there's something to be said for when you can't generate any pressure, you have to acknowledge that you have to find a way to do it. And even then, I think an extra dose of giving up a little more pressure, basically think about it as like a, a revised bend don't break. Instead of we're going to sit back and let you make a mistake, separate it a little bit to where you're still playing these two high defenses. You're still dropping into cover two, Tampa two, a lot. And especially with Tremaine Edmonds, man, very few linebackers are that fast to where they could still run the pole from the line of scrimmage. But Tremaine can. So you've got that going for you. I can't help but feel like they, like at least starting from blitz-centric looks and then playing quarters, cover three, cover two behind it, or playing some of these, what do they call them, three-three blitzes? I I saw a bunch of terminology where it's like three up, three down, like um, three up, two down. I think... I don't necessarily think blitzes are in. It's not that simple. But when you play zone behind a blitz, you will see quarterbacks hesitate. And when you can generate those negative plays, that puts an offense in a bind. Do you, so, I mean, to further this question, I'm not sure what he's asking, because then I'll, I'll answer mine. Are you, in terms of your basis scheme, has that changed for you in terms of a 43, a 34, any of that kind of stuff? I actually agree with all those defensive guys that think that that question is overrated. What do you think? I do too, because I don't think it even exists anymore because there's so many spread offenses that it's a lot of the same anymore. You're going to play so much in nickel. You're going to make so many checks into something else. And that's the other thing. I can't help but feel like there are a bunch of floose mistakes that honestly we don't have amazing answers to. Like, for instance, there were a bunch of teams that went empty early on the Bears. Why did they keep going empty? Because it was very obvious that Matt Eberflus would check to like cover two against empty and teams loved it. Like yep. the the Washington Commanders spent the entire second half rolling into empty so that the Bears would check to something so that they could eat the Bears. Based yeah, they, on they the didn't empty run the check. ball at all, right? The whole half. They didn't run the ball at all half because yeah. they thought they were going to get what they wanted and they scored the points to make that at least a worthwhile like we can't look at them and say they were wrong, basically. So there are situational ball things where you could see Matt Eberflus defaulting to that. We're going to do what we do. And I think that's one of the big problems that you see a lot of old school defensive coaches falling into, right, Nick? Like when you say we're going to do what we do, the offense says in the words of Sean McVay on the play caller, good, we hope you do. We hope you play your defense as well as you possibly can because we know how we're going to attack it. And the moment that you start showing things and doing something else or even showing them and doing it when it comes to pressure, you force the offense to check to something else. You force communication. Maybe only eight guys heard it. And suddenly your hot route doesn't run his hot route. And the quarterback's just screwed in the pocket. Mm -hmm. I I feel like Flus's mistakes, though, Nick, were actually more subtle. Like they weren't overt. They weren't, wow, the defense is doing this. It shouldn't do this. Sure, there's a passivity thing in there. But now we've got the corners up on the line more often. Now when we're dropping to cover two, we're doing it out of a press look so that we can reroute some of these receivers and create chaos within the like within what the defense wants to do. Playing a little more match, right? I'm throwing a line at you, but it's it's subtle changes plus all the Zimmer Blitz looks more than it is some wholesale thing. And that's honestly how defenses get built. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you went, <laughs> you covered more. I don't think I can cover as much with that because you went in depth. I, um, in terms of, I guess my preferred scheme, like, yeah, we talked about 34 and 43 isn't going to matter a whole lot because you're going to have three wide receiver sets or empty sets, and you can't be in a 52 and and match up with that. Like you're going to end up with, what was it we saw? Like, like TJ Watt man up on like, I'm on St. Brown or, you know, some of those, like, you're like, okay, well, this isn't going to work for you. Watt or Edwards, just to be clear. What was it? You said TJ Watt. Did you mean TJ Edwards or did you literally mean TJ Watt? No, I can't remember who it was. Some team had like literally their D end who is a pass rusher on some elite right. slot receiver. And it was like, what are it you doing? Badly. This is, yeah, this isn't going to work. Um, but you had talked about this and this was something that I loved last year was the simulated pressures that I saw from Tennessee. Cause Tennessee, if you looked at them last year, very good defensive team that over, overachieved due to their talent. Jeffrey Simmons obviously is amazing. Everyone else on that defense, it's like, Kevin Byard is, you know, long in the tooth. He got traded. Like no one else was amazing on that defense, but because of simulated pressures and and how that works is, is that you would show and you would drop and then come from other areas so that the offensive line would slide one way. And that way, kind of like we just talked about with Minnesota, that way you'd have a free rusher and you would generate pressure from your four. They just didn't know where those four were going to come from. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a lot of what you're talking about, Robert, is where you have like your expected rushers versus your unexpected rushers. And I think playing that game of not knowing where people are coming from is what you want to have the offensive line, the running back who's going to scan which side he's going to block, all of the shifts, the checks, all that kind of stuff. You know, you talked about double mug, right? That's the Zimmer, you know, where two linebackers are walked up into a gap and then like, they're going to come, then they drop out and they've already adjusted. And that center is okay. I'm going to stay here and he can't help like things like that are the fun things. And that's the kind of the new age of defenses. What I love Mike McDonald is doing some super fun things in Baltimore. If people aren't paying attention, I mean, we talked about like guys, you want the bears to sign Geno Smith is a pretty good safety. They have a, I can't pronounce his name, a D tackle that has, I think the most pressures or sacks in the NFL at D tackle. Um, and what they do is, again, the simulated pressures look, but they also will change their coverages. Which, like I saw a couple of them where they had a, a defender follow a motion guy across the formation, right? Which is why teams motion all the time, by the way. They're like, is this man or zone? Because you can tell right away, how are they adjusting to this? And due to the motion, the guy followed him across the formation. You're like, okay, this is man. And it was Jared Goff, who they made look like he did not belong in the NFL or Detroit that day. And then all of a sudden followed across the formation. And then all of a sudden, right in the snap, they switched into a zone. They dropped golf, dropped back. Like, Oh, don't know what's going on. Boom. He was sacked. What, what the purpose of, I think all NFL defenses, if you go low level high school, maybe some college, you don't need to do as much of this. You need to make things look like one thing and then shift and look like another to make this in easy terms. Think of the run game look exactly like the play action game. And then all of a sudden guys are wide open on pass concepts. It's the same thing. You want the quarterback to think they're going to get one look. Maybe it's static and then they rotate. Then guys shift. Now, again, some guys could be wide open because of this, but that's, what's going to create some hesitancy. You talk about that time in the pocket earlier, Robert, the more the times there, the more time your pass rushers can get to your quarterback. And that's where you can force turnover. So I think that's a lot of what I would like to see in my preferred scheme. In terms of Fluce's mistakes, um, I think Fluce hasn't had a, he didn't have a lot of talent last year for being honest. So that would be this year mistakes. Let's throw last year out. 
Yeah. Yeah. I don't think you could really do that when we were signing guys off the street to play in the secondary against like, you know, Buffalo and the Eagles at the end of the year. Um, but Flus, I think the biggest mistakes he's made is when he's taken kind of the passive route and when we've had leads or looked bad in the second half, that's probably been my biggest issue is that you can't allow Detroit to go down the field and score with ease. You can't allow Washington to come back so easily. And then all of a sudden fields had the long touchdown pass to DJ Moore to close out the game. You can't allow Denver to come back as easily. Now, again, I understand you don't want to give up the big play, but also you can't make it so easy in these static looks because it looked very static to me. There wasn't a lot of rotation. There wasn't a lot of, I'm not sure what they're going to give me. You knew it. Cover two, cover four. This is easy. Check down, check down, check down. And we moved down the field in like 20 seconds. You need to create some uncertainty. And he hasn't done that enough. He's done it better recently. He didn't do that, I would say, from about week, uh, was it three he took over to about week six or seven. And at least if you are going to create some uncertainty, line your, or even at least if you are going to give away certain looks, like you can line up in a static two look, whatever, but at least let your guy, your man corner, Tyreek Stevenson, like play up on the line. So, because the moment that you've got him sitting eight yards off the ball, you are begging to give yep. up a completion because yep. that's just not the rookie's game. There's a little bit of catering that I felt like Flus didn't do. And you know what? When you're the defensive coordinator of Frank Reich's Colts and for some somehow, some way, Carson Wentz is scoring you 21, 24 points a game, do whatever you want. Like you can bring guys along, and as your rookie gets beat, he'll get better. But when you start 0-4 and you shoot a massive hole in your season, partially because you didn't adjust your defense and allowed things to be so easy and got blown out by Green Bay, I will mention that every time because it hurts. I'm still not over it. Like, you gotta look yourself in the mirror and you gotta say, Did we do the best thing we could to win? No, of course we didn't. And that grinds my gears. Now the second part of this question, they asked if we wanted, if Iberflus got fired, what are our thoughts on Leslie Frazier as a defensive coordinator? What's funny to me when I think about defensive coordinators is I assume that the offensive guy or whoever the Bears would hire would either be a defensive mind or bring in a, a the defensive coordinator, obviously, of their own choice. I think this whole Dave Tepper super staff thing just doesn't happen. And I don't think Leslie Frazier has any particular connections to either Jim Harbaugh, Bobby Slowick, Le uh, what is it, uh, Ben Johnson. You know what I'm saying, Nick? Like, mm -hmm. I, I can't imagine Leslie being in the conversation, but if he was, how different do you see him from Eberflus? I mean, Buffalo just played a bunch of two, didn't they? Well, I, to answer your first point there, I mean, Sean McVay brought in Wade Phillips when he first got a head job and there was no connection yeah, there. So, I mean, the, the guys need jobs in the end. And, you know, I think part of creating a super staff is it's the head coach's job to make sure that they gel and mesh and all get along. Um, I, I would like it because he's been super successful in multiple stops for many years. I think that's in the end what you kind of look at because the NFL does evolve. And if you want to look at Buffalo's defense right now, I want you to really, really check out the injury report and see how beat up that defense is because I don't think you can judge it off of what there is right now. You can look over, you know, the, a large sample size that they've been successful. And he mentions, you know, Edmonds has been there. Yeah, Edmonds would be more comfortable because he knows the scheme. He knows the, the the coach. I think that it wouldn't be a terrible transition, which I don't think you want to. Okay, now we're going to have 
a blitz heavy 34 based type team, like, okay, now you wasted a bunch of guys and now we have to go through a whole nother transition. Right. So to me, I think it wouldn't be a terrible idea, uh, but I do want the head coach to be an offensive minded guy and be really comfortable with the look. So um, we're going to go through these because we're kind of going a little long in the tooth, I feel like. So I'm going to go with the next one. Um, Mike R asks, why do we keep hearing that league sources are not down on Getsy? Or I guess the way Adam Johns would state it, the Bears, uh, it would be Bears fans might be a little surprised at what the league sources say of Getsy. It isn't only Johns, a few other reporters have said similar things. Is it possible that this is a Chris Ballard effect uh, where a guy developed a good reputation among reporters to keep the narrative positive about him? I can't recall. Uh, I can't imagine actual football people look at this scheme and walk away believing Getsy is anything worth keeping or even asking it like this. How many defensive head coaches hires would consider keeping Getsy on board? We kind of addressed this a little bit with Getsy earlier. Um, and to me, like leak sources, you know, reporters, like they, they, they hear things, but also I, I don't know how much of that is super valid, you know, like. We, we heard, you know, Ryan Poles go to bat for Matt Eberflus a couple of weeks ago, but what's he supposed to do? You know, like, I think right. that's a good leader. You need to continually support your people instead of throwing them under the bus. I, I haven't heard in league circles that Getsy is super highly talked about. Have you heard that, Robert? I mean, no, uh, I can tell you that when I was at, out at the senior bowl, you do a whole bunch of networking and Getsy stayed the first night. He was up till like 4 a.m at one of the local bars in the area, just talking with people. I was not brave enough to go talk to him. I did stand near him for a little bit. I just, I hate bothering people. Why, why, bother why were you people. brave enough? Come on. What? Because I, I hate bothering people that I like really like. And moreover, um, let me put it this way, Nick. I will talk to nearly anybody in the football circle, except the people I have directly criticized. Because I almost feel like that relationship makes it weird. Right. Like almost an element of I don't I not that I don't want to be Luke Getzi's friend. I would love to be Luke Getzi's friend when he's not associated with the Bears, because I while he is associated with the Bears, I can't be objective if if that's my boy. You know what I mean? No, I what you mean. Yeah. But so I mean, you were, you were objective on fields. I, I try, man. Like I had to hide my eyes when I saw polls of the combine. I was like, God forbid he knows who I am because he's walking by big dude, big dude. You could tell he's a former lineman. Like, hey, got to say, he's got a presence to him. Anyways, uh, back to this, though. Okay, so I'm going to throw something at you that, Nick, I don't know if you're going to love hearing it, but I imagine that there is a sub-circle of people in the NFL that are blaming Justin Fields for everything. And those people probably think that Luke Gessie's pretty good. Like, that, I'm talking people that are being unfair. But you got to remember... Not everybody in the NFL has time to like really watch Bears tape. They're going to go through, they're going to like click through it, right? Like somebody working for the, I don't know, commanders or something like that. They're going to like flick through a couple games. They're going to be like open receiver, open receiver, open receiver, open receiver. They don't know anything about the context. They don't know that's your, they don't know that's your Tyree Carter. They don't know this is the third center that's been in the game. They just didn't track that like all these different numbers mm-hmm. have come in. They just look at something like the Minnesota game. They see a bunch of open people like DJ Moore streaking down the sidelines, even though that's like the first time that that flag or that deep down the sideline route broke open like that all season. You remember the one I'm talking about where DJ hits the mailbox as he's heading into the end zone? Like they see stuff like that and they go, Justin Fields could have had 300 yards. Justin Fields sucks. Luke Getzey's getting guys open. And they just don't think that hard, right? 
it's basically saying if you're watching every single game. Okay, I had a coaching friend of mine, Nick. Have I told you this one? Uh, he said, yeah, man, if I was watching the Bears every single week, I think I would start to hate football. And so if you Bears fan are out there feeling the same way, he agrees with you. <laughs> like, uh, and, and I thought it was hilarious because honestly, watching the Bears all 22 tape, have you felt this way? It is kind of a beating most of the time right now. I've been a Bears fan my whole life, Robert. I don't know why now is any different than it's been being in Wisconsin the as the Packers have done well my whole life but you got to remember uh mike r that most of this is because right now there are people that are going to just take sides it's what everybody does you were either on Nagy's side or you were on mitch's side and then we find out years later both of them were bad <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah oh yeah well yeah and that's you know kind of one of my uh ones right now is people were really big on joe brady right because the lsu thing mm -hmm. and and i i tweeted this out i was like guys you know, Burrow, Jefferson, Chase, also put in Terrace Marshall, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, Joe Brady. I'm like, all of them can't be elite. So Somebody's not great. Carried somewhere else. And so you, know, you, you find out eventually. So um, I don't think any defensive head coaches are coming to Chicago and keeping Getsy. Like, no, no. You might see somebody hire Getsy off of an interview that he kills it. But the moment that that happens, people are going to clown on that guy. And then it'll be up to Getsy whether he can rewrite his own narrative. Weirder yeah. things have happened. Yeah, he, he's not staying in Chicago. I'm, that's no. the one thing I'm the most confident in. Um, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be terribly opposed to a defensive head coach. I don't want it. Okay. But if it's Mike McDonald, I really like him. There's a few that I do like. I would just prefer offensive guy. Mike R. didn't ask this question, but Robert Schmitz is going to ask you this question, Nick. If you had to, if I said one stays, one goes, it's not your decision. It's the Bears' decision right now. If the Bears finish seven and 10, is Getsy more likely to get fired or is Fields more likely to get replaced? Getsy's more likely to get fired. I think that's bold, man. I think there's a chance that they may go full scapegoat, which would be bad. That would be wow. the bad, that would be the bad zone. Like, wow. if that happens, I hope that they just get fired instead. To be honest with you, but I think it's easier to replace coaches than, than to say it's the quarterback. I mean, coaches can come and go. That happens. Sure. But the opportunity that they're getting offered at the top of the draft is three years of contract extension. That's the thing that I think people forget to talk about because it's the ugly part of the business. Right. But like Ryan Poles or Matt Eberflus, if they draft a rookie quarterback, they do not need to deliver results, baby. Like, I mean, they could just they, they could just sit back. They could do nothing. Not literally, obviously, but like if you make the playoffs with a rookie, you get two pats on the back. If you don't make the playoffs as a rookie, everybody goes, what? Did we think we were going to make the playoffs with a rookie? I know, but at least he was in what, year five? Was it year four? I'm just like, saying, man. It, it happened literally right here. So, okay. I, so I, I hope you're right. I really do yeah. because no change in Chicago would be pretty brutal. No, oh, yeah, that would be yeah. All right, bad taste out of my mouth. Let's, let's get into some some blech, other off-season stuff. <laughs> Wags, okay. So if that's Wagner or whatever, we'll, Wags. Asks, I'm just pulling usernames. So you can give no, me no, a I'm different just, name if you want one. Question yeah, askers. Yeah. yeah, I mean we're we're not going to read inappropriate stuff, but it sounds like it's Wags. So Wags asks. So let's say Connor Williams, if people don't know, center right for Miami, uh, commands above Poles' number for a center. 
which Pulse has been pretty true to like, I'm not going to overpay. So I get this. This is a good question. Who is your next favorite on the market center? Who's a free agent. Uh, what do you think of Cushenberry, who's Lloyd Cushenberry, center for Denver, as an underrated and more affordable option? I'll let you go first here. Sure. I mean, there was something that really stuck with me when I watched 2021's 18. So I was doing like a the Scouting Academy thing uh, for a little bit with Jeff Burkus, and I got assigned to watch uh, Bradley Bozeman. I was like, Bradley Bozeman, he's pretty good. Most uh, most metric things had him between 18th and 20th, and I realized that this guy couldn't move at all. Like, center is such a studs and duds position that if you can handle it mentally, like, your physical traits might not matter, but if you're really good, then Creed Humphrey and Jason Kelsey can literally take over games. I mean, yep. it is a very weird position. So not knowing much about Lloyd Cushenberry, other than I don't hear him, you know, unilaterally named and shamed i sure right i'm almost in an anything's better than lucas patrick kind of mindset what about you yeah so again we've referenced this often so pff has lucas patrick rated 35th among all centers his pff grade is 49.6 okay Uh, among free agent centers so connor williams who was referenced here is first 85.9 so Significantly higher, 30, what, six points higher. Uh, but there are others that are free agents that are in this range. So Lloyd Cushenberry, who he references, ranked seven, or I'm sorry, 11th among all centers, like 71.1 grade. range. Yep, yep. Andre James, I've mentioned him in a previous podcast. He's 12th, 70.8, right behind him. Another free agent is Tyler Adidas, something like that. <laughs> Dallas, I don't know, man. Do you, do you got it? What is oh. it? <laughs> I just, I, for, my brain went through all the different Tylers, Tyler Scott, Tyler Steen, like so and so forth. You went out with Adidas, and I was like, I don't know who that there's is. A, there's, there's not two Ds, there's one D, but I don't know, man. Whatever. The center for the Cowboys, okay? Uh, he's right <laughs> 20th. So right there, there's four options that are free agents. If it's too expensive to get Connor Williams, you have options to, again, easily upgrade. We're not saying this is, you know, Creed Humphrey, as you're talking about. This is a easy upgrade, and I don't think they have to pay through the tooth to, to get one. I like this option better than drafting a center. Do you, Robert? Um, Yeah, if only because I think everybody, I, I would probably do both if I got to choose just because then you can get the free agent option and then you bring in a center and the center learns and he's offensive line depth. You can never have too many good DBs. You can never have too many good offensive linemen, right? Yeah. But I love the veteran center option so that you can get better play sooner because I think you do ultimately need that. Now I'll mm-hmm. bring up the second part of the question because unfortunately Wags, I think we can get through this one pretty fast. He mentions, yeah. what do we think of Mike Gusecki as a buy low high option or a buy low high upside option? If you don't end up in that eight to 10 range to take Brock Bowers, I understand that everybody loves 12 personnel. 12 personnel is very, 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 very in right now. I would be shocked if the Chicago bears wanted to spend $20 million on their tight end room. What do you think? Um, I'm not so I like Gasecki. I say this liking Gasecki. Yeah, I, I like Gasecki, but I, he can't block. So no, he's a wide me, receiver. He's a wide receiver. And and so Cole Clement is your 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 tight end and Gasecki's your your move tight end. To me, like 
I want a guy that can threaten blocking and also can leak out. Brock Bowers can do that. Mike Kosicki can't. And to me, I think there's other options you could go with. And there's kind of a reason Mike Kosicki has bounced around and not landed in one area. It's because he's basically a giant slot receiver, a.k.a. Kyle Pitts light. Now, how many tight ends do you actually think can block and also get out and run? Ten. Mm, that matter? Yeah. Like the do it. I mean, I think that's fair because a lot of them are just just a tight end. Right. Uh, To me, this is where, honestly, Wags, I'm still a little brokenhearted that the Bears didn't go and draft a tight end in the like deep, deep tight end draft. I'm talking anybody from Payne Durham who just caught a touchdown pass recently. I think it was a touchdown pass. It might have been just a really big third, fourth down uh, conversion to Will Mallory, who's gotten a little play in Indianapolis. Like there were a bunch of young tight ends that weren't second and third round picks and the Bears didn't find one of them. Now they're a little, I don't want to say they're behind. There's no curve in this kind of thing, but it's a bummer that that didn't work out. At, at this point, I'd need to do more research on who's going to be there in the free agent market. It gets so funny looking at this because Cole Komet has a better receiving grade than uh, Evan Ingram. And I think most sane people would look at Evan Ingram and he'd be like, he's a completely different weapon. Tell PFF, t- tell to PFF, bro. Yeah. <laughs> like, Well, I, I have the list of free agent tight ends if you want them. Uh, yeah, sure. What do we got? So uh, Dalton Schultz. Uh, and, th- and this is in their order. And again, from I'll, I'll just, I'll, my, my friend at PFF, Brad Spielberger, if you're not following him, really you good guy, be. really good ad. Um, Dalton Schultz, Noah Fant, Hunter Henry, Gerald Everett, Adam Troutman, Austin Hooper, Mike Isicki, Colby Parkinson, Farrell Brown, and Harrison Bryant. Well, um, aside from the fact that, oh, Farrell Brown has like seven receptions, so I don't know what's going on there because he's got an outstanding receiving grade on PFF. Going off of what I actually think about these players, Noah Fant would make a lot of sense, but I haven't watched his tape in years just off of pedigree because he's a really highly touted tight end that I can know can block a little bit. But he's obviously, if he's going to be a free agent next year, that's an issue just because any he's one of those guys where if he's not being re-signed, why isn't he being resigned? Well, like the, that's he like is. he's already been to two teams. I know. Like what I'm trying to get at is, you know, this these players, Nick, where it's like if you were a New York Giants fan, you probably got really excited that your team claimed Isaiah Simmons, but then everybody else goes, "Why was Isaiah Simmons like available at all?" And it for, turns for out nothing in a trade. Yeah, and it turns out there's good reasons for it. Yeah, fans. Well, it, be- it's kind of like Bears fans. Why was Unique Nagakwe available? Again, oh, I think we knew twentieth like, time, and now we know why. We were down so bad, like I know. we had we know nothing why. that we could do. Uh, so but, of that list, obviously Dalton Schultz would be my favorite, and then I mean Noah Fant is athletic. To me, he's a better version of Mike Kosicki. I don't think he's a great blocker, which is why I'm thinking more if you finesse. wanted if you wanted the cheaper one two UI punch, that's why I was thinking Fant fits in a little better with what we'd want to mm-hmm. do. But I would, we'll see. We'll see if Ryan Poles wants to build that. I bet you he wants to build out the wide receiver room a little more. Yeah. I mean, we're going to get multiple tight ends, but yeah, I think there's some different options there. Okay. Wags, he says, I lied one more. Good for you. Hey, we want these questions, people. So just keep firing away. If we get to them, we get to them. If not, we don't. Okay. Would you be behind using the majority of your D-line spending to sign Chris Jones instead of an edge? Dexter could then develop as a backup, can give you good rotation and keep Jones fresh. 
front load the contract so you can get out of it, you know, potentially year four, however it's, uh, you know, structured. But then the contract, you know, if Dexter is, you know, good and you can extend him as the heir apparent. My answer is no. I want to pitch a crazy idea to oh, you. Oh, gee. After I already said no? I just want to throw this at you. All right. Let's see. Let's what see if, if you can convince me, Robert. Let's see. What if we kicked Dexter out and played him as an ultra elephant end? Like, and then you use him plus the ultra lightweight Montez Sweat to create a run pinching set of pocket pushers. And we've already seen Gervon get what is this three reps and he's won two of them out on the edge right now. Like if you theoretically used all that athleticism and somehow managed to turn him into a decent, because the other thing about Gervon Dexter, man. So like look at Braxton Jones, the Braxton Jones story is pretty common. A lot of tackles have such long arms that they don't actually have that much physical leverage when it comes to bench pressing the guy across from them as tackle arms get longer if you throw a 310 pound missile like a freight train at these tackles honest question nick how well do you think a lot of their bull rushes are going to hold up like it if nothing else, this is one of those ideas I don't expect an NFL defensive coordinator to actually have the stones to put on the field. Because if it didn't work, you're going to look like an idiot and it is going to be your fault. Like, people don't like to expose themselves like that. But can you envision a defensive line of Gervin Dexter, Chris Jones, Andrew Billings, Montez Sweat? It's not even the passing downs. I'm getting amped about the rushing downs. And then on the passing downs, suddenly you use Dexter and Sweat to just rush along the outside and play contain. And then you've just got your feature spotlight on Chris Jones. Like, go will pass, buddy. You yeah, know what but I mean? The, I mean, Jones likes to go on the outside on pass rush downs anyway. <laughs> I guess he does. So what, about, you... what, about, what about Walker? Isn't Walker that guy that can do that? Imagine if Walker got to be your spark plug third edge. He comes in fresh like ready to roll, ready to put that hand in the dirt and go take it to an offensive tackle that's had to deal with a 310-pound freight train. And suddenly he just puts his hands under and he's no less strong. Like, I'm thinking you could make a Marion Barber-esque edge rusher out of uh, Walker, who is being paid enough, like, and by enough, I mean he's being paid about $7 million a year, where if he was a rotational edge, that's not breaking the bag for that. No, no, no. It's like $7 million, I think, right? Something like right. that. Exactly. So, let, let me let me spin this to you a, a different way, okay? Uh, one, your idea is crazy. It is crazy. Two, two I don't hate it because I understand it in terms of a, an X to the nose thing. I don't know that Dexter be great on the outside, but, you know, whatever. Neither do I. Um, <laughs> Chris Jones is currently having his worst PFF grade since his rookie season. He's 11th among all defensive tackles, and he is 29. Point four. So by the time he would play next year, he'd be, you know, 30. So pay him big money. And he's 30. And let's say Chicago isn't great next year. Let's say they take the step. They're eight and nine, nine and eight, borderline playoff team. They make the wild card and lose. And then Chris Jones falls off more. It's 2025. He's 31. He's now like the 35th best D tackle and you spent all your money there. 
does that make more sense than try and go after a young guy? Because everything that polls is telling us is he values age. He's been going after younger guys that can be there multiple years. And if we're talking about this window of get rid of Justin Fields and reset the cap and reset the window, you're not going to go for a 30-year-old guy. If you're going to sign Chris Jones, you're keeping Justin Fields. You are trading down. You're reloading. And, you know, we can actually leads into another question we have in the show sheet. But I think that that's the only avenue you're going to go with. Because to me, I think Chris Jones is saying that you think next year you're a playoff team, just like the Cleo Mack type situation. And I'm not sure that makes the most sense. I would rather divvy it out to get another edge because you're not terrible at D tackle um, versus spending it all at D tackle and having a terrible edge. So the Bears currently, to, to flip the PFF grade on you a little bit, we're not trying to be too obsessed with PFF, but I like this thought, right? You mentioned Chris Jones has the 12th highest uh, defensive interior PFF grade at, it is 80.9. Would you like to guess how many Bears defenders have above an 80.9, not counting Noah Sewell, because he just hasn't played enough? Um, Two. Two. It's TJ Edwards and it's Jalen Johnson, and yeah. nobody else is even a 70. I completely get what you're saying, but my thought is is that in a world where you did sign Chris Jones or Chris Jones, you could sign him to a three year deal that's basically one and a half million or one and a half years guaranteed. Maybe you don't get that deal. Maybe you have to make it two years guaranteed. Maybe even two and a half. Just talking out what it would take to get him right. Yeah. But then, for as much as you say like it would be bad to push for the playoffs next year, I don't think it would be bad. I don't even know if a rookie quarterback is an automatic L as far as making the playoffs because you're still going to be playing what is most likely going to be a fourth place schedule with an NFC conference that is so poor. I even think you play the AFC South again next year. So now you're taking on the Panthers, like the Saints, the Falcons, and the other one in their division, Tampa, Buccaneers. who aren't going to just magically turn a corner and all get better. Maybe they'll get better, but will they get better than you get better? And so I'm, I actually think, Nick, that nearly any defensive line spending works. I would prefer an edge rusher. But if you went with the Chris Jones route, I'd just hold my hands in the air and go, okay, let's go. Because you mentioned the Cleo Mack trade. Imagine the Cleo Mack trade with none of the draft problems. Like, it's just money. Thank God. Thank God what, what, that works. What about, what if you can save $7 million and you sign Christian Wilkins, who's younger? He's younger, but doesn't he have bigger injury issues? I don't know. I'm just I'm just throwing hypotheticals. You're always going to end up with some push-pull, right? You have to overpay no matter what. And my thought yep. is, the more I watch football, Nick, the I mean, silly statement, but cap space doesn't win you games, right? And effective contract and efficient contracts obviously win you games. But also, if you can get $20 million of ROI out of Chris Jones and you have to spend 26 to get it, did you get more ROI than you're getting from Yannick and other signings like that, right? Where you're paying a little less, but you worry or you run the risk of getting a player that is literally not worth better than vet minimum. I just, I just hate spending. I I think it's going to be more than that, but let's say it's 26 for a 30 year old D lineman. That's it'd be a ton. It would be, be a lot. push to the center move. So moving on to the next question, this is an interesting one that I think ties in with that, which I think I've talked about on here as a scenario, Ben S, but you said you're drooling over this idea and I've pitched it and I love this idea as well, Ben. So 
Hey, so for the q and I've been drooling over the idea of trading back the number one with the Raiders for a similar to last year, Max Crosby, where DJ Moore was. Now, I'm not sure that they would part with the guy, but I imagine they if they did, that we would get less pack, picks back. Curious your ideas on if it's a terrible, try to figure out a trade value. Uh, sorry if this is an impossible idea. Love the content. Go Bears. Okay. First off, Ben, thank you. We thank appreciate you. it. You, you like you. us, man. You rule um, You know, obviously we wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't for you guys. So thank you for that. I do not think it's a terrible idea because let's let's go through the scenario. The Raiders have the 11th pick right now. If the season ended, they have the 11th pick. In my opinion, I don't know where Robert's at in this. The third best quarterback is Jaden Daniels. Jaden Daniels is going to go top eight, in my opinion. He is flashed enough. Some team in there is QB needy and is going to want him. So they're going to miss on their top three guys. They could go Bo Nix at 11. They could go with... What, Jimmy Garoppolo again? I don't know if he's going to come back or not. Aiden O'Connell. Um, sign, I don't know who's going to be a free agent. Maybe they try it. Oh, Kirk Cousins, come off the Achilles at 36. I mean, there, there are some options. Or you can make a trade and you're like, hey, you know what? We're going to press reset. We're going to get the quarterback. We're going to trade up and we're going to get it done. And we're going to give up a 26-year-old best player that we have, but it's not a quarterback. And... What have we talked about, Bears fans? What is all we talked about? We're going to go full circle, Robert. All the chatter have to get the quarterback right. Justin Fields gone. We need Caleb, right? Obsessing over the quarterback. If you think we're obsessing over the quarterback, what do you think Raiders are in terms of their hope? Oh, yeah. No, let's let's keep our D end. Let's let's go. You know, let's figure out. We'll sign a mid tier free agent quarterback. Think of the Saints with Derek Carr, right? Teams want to figure out their quarterback. And so my opinion, I think that they would part with him if it lets them jump from 11 to one. I don't know how many other picks you get with it, but even if it is 11 and Max Crosby, I think it's something that is interesting for Bears fans because at 11, let's say you go with one of the receivers and now you walk away, right? With Mm -hmm. Max Crosby, Montez Sweat, another receiver to go with DJ Moore, and that and that team, and all of a sudden, you talk about win now, Robert. I really like our odds for the playoffs next year. I like our odds for the playoffs, but I I still think that if you, all right. So I am trying to think out everything in terms of the worst case scenario, right? And while a Max Crosby deal would be badass, like let me be so so clear, and maybe in theory you use these first round picks to pick a quarterback next year that ends up outstanding out of nowhere, right? I'll use an example of something that I think is feasible, but unlikely, right, Nick? But in the same way that we would have said what I was about to say is feasible, but unlikely. Two years ago, we would have said CJ Stroud, top 10 quarterback as a rookie. Lol, I guess it could happen. Doubt it though, right? Mm -hmm. Let me use another toolsy guy. Bears, trade uh they trade they get a bunch of picks they get max crosby they draft quinn ewers around 20th next year and suddenly the kid's just a phenom right um and hooray that works out if it doesn't you're you're now the classic team that's going to lose early in the playoffs better than what it has been no doubt that's the beauty of the bears situation there's nearly no way you could manage this nearly knocking on wood that they don't get better than it has been. The foundation is the best foundation I think it's been in ages. Would you say a decade? Yes or no? For, for Chicago? For Chicago. Um. Yeah, I mean, outside of what we thought 2018 was going to be, 
Because Mitch didn't take the step. But yeah, outside of that, yeah. But even 2018, we knew that it was going to be a, like, or we knew that the contracts weren't set up to be forever, right? Mm. We knew that you were pushing a lot in on now. And to me, the Max Crosby deal, because he comes over, he's pretty expensive. Him being expensive isn't the problem. The problem is, is the opportunity cost to not reset at quarterback. You better be right about Justin Fields because the movements that you make, if Justin Fields doesn't pan out, especially now that we have three years of data that say that they kind of paint a specific picture. And so if Justin Fields ends up the worst quarterback in the playoffs, uh, especially the worst quarterback in the second round of the playoffs, suddenly you're trying to win like the Browns do. And, and that's Bears football. But I do worry, Nick, just going into the future, that we would be setting ourselves up for incredible hope and deep disappointment if the quarterback didn't come through for us. But I guess the other way, you get the same problem. We're going to have to put our faith in a quarterback somewhere. Right, yeah, they they, they all could bust. The, the, the thing is, I want to frame this so people know. Again, we've referenced PFF a lot. Max Crosby's PFF ranking among edges the last three years. It's the best, isn't it? T- 2021, he was second. 2022, he was fourth. This year, he is fourth. He is an absolute stud a force um and so you know again i i'm graduating to a different idea robert and again i said this before i don't care which of the three options chicago goes with but we see brock pretty with the 49ers and everyone's like yeah but that's the perfect scenario okay let's go jared goff with detroit let's go to a tongue let's go with uh you can even say kirk cousins before he got hurt with minnesota right these are more people call system type quarterbacks. All of them have been more efficient this year than Josh Allen, than Justin Herbert. Burrow has been injured. We can't say him. Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, right? They've all been more efficient than these guys. Totally. And so I'm graduating from the, I think we have to have the hero quarterback, the guy who's going to lift everyone up and put everyone on his back and drag them to the finish line to more, I think that we need to surround our quarterback with as many weapons and a good line and a good coach. Now, again, I don't know if Justin Fields can be the efficient guy to do that. I was about that, to say, I want to but, stop you there. To me, right. to jumping in, I don't think the argument for Caleb from a sane person is Caleb's going to lift this team up and put it on his back. Same with Drake May. Watch, watch a Drake May game. I'm trying not to be the guy who says, watch a game and say that with a straight face. Drake May is not a... Drake May is the kind of guy who's going to get the most out of what the team can give him, but his physical makeup is not that of a superhero. He's the kind of guy that's just not going to miss that often when you get a receiver wide open deep. That's the whole bit, right? Is it's like if you generate a seam throw for Malik Neighbors, he's going to hit it. With Caleb... I think his best play, I think the best arguments are what he's doing in structure. I think you just have to see the all 22 because the Lincoln Riley offense takes forever to resolve. It's really frustrating. There, there's a lot of issues at USC right now. Like, yeah, that's for sure. It's and, and that's all to say, Nick, that I'm actually totally with you. I, I'm totally on the same page to meet Justin Fields right now is the archetypal hero quarterback. I think that's playing against him at the yep. moment. And yep, if, it is. if he could become to a tug of Iloa, 
not a conversation. Like yeah, if lean if, into your your weapons and your teammates, and like, and that's and all no Jordan matter who doing, they pick, that's all Jordan loves doing right yeah, now. It is, yeah. And 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 here's the problem: is like we saw, and again, if you want to say excuses, whatever, we've seen time and again, like Justin Fields, he hasn't been set up to be successful. I think at least last year, you can admit. We've seen a lot of young quarterbacks. Yeah. A lot of young quarterbacks come through Chicago and not succeed. I want to see them surrounded because the most surrounded I've ever seen a quarterback in Chicago was the Josh McCown slash Jay Cutler when you had Jeffrey and Marshall. And there's like almost no way someone can't succeed when you surround somebody. So no matter who they pick, please, Ryan Poles, because I know you listen to this podcast, surround your quarterback with a bunch of weapons, whether you go Marvin Harrison Jr., which I know everyone loves. I like him too. Who Malik doesn't? Neighbors, Keon Coleman, Roma Duzier, Brock Bowers. Surround them and let them thrive, please. Get them juiced up. Go get another free agent receiver too. Yep. Uh, yep. Like There's a bunch of decent options at free agent receiver to go get yourself one of those like two, three hybrid guys so that you can go into the draft. And if Malik Neighbors falls to you, great. If you get a shot at, I don't know, maybe Dallas Turner's had like a bunch of insane pro days and stuff like that. He jumps into the conversation number five and you just can't pass on him. Okay. Okay. At least we have a guy who's holding the water over there at wide receiver two. Like I'm with you. I'm my favorite part about this situation for any quarterback, whether it's fields, whether it's a rookie, whether it's something neither of us have thought of yet. The bears offensive line is young and playing way better than I think we thought they would. Like, mm-hmm. I would argue, Nick, this has been the best case scenario. It's not often I get to say that when it comes to the Bears' offensive line. But, like, Braxton Jones, cooking. Darnell mm-hmm. Wright, ahead of schedule. Nate Davis, actually slightly disappointing, but even he's held water. Tevin Jenkins, healthy, baby. Like, it's it's fun. It's a lot mm-hmm. of good things. You get a new center, you add a little more depth. You squeeze the lemon at wide receiver. We're talking about one of the best landing spots that any quarterback has had. And I'm with you. I, I look do you, at. Do you want to hear the free agent wide receivers? Sure. Yeah. One so of I, got this, I got the list here. So, um, and again, everyone, we know some are going to get franchised and re-signed before all this happens, but this is who could be available right now. T Higgins, Michael Pittman Jr. Which by the way, every time. Michael Pittman, senior man, love that dude, man. Remember, remember his arms yes. with the Tampa. He's like, he just all muscle. Awesome. All right, Mike Evans, Marquise Hollywood Brown, Calvin Ridley, Darnell Mooney, Tyler Boyd, Gabe Davis, Michael Thomas, DJ Shark, Odell Beckham Jr., Josh Reynolds, Noah Brown. I kind of like Noah Brown as a low key guy. Curtis Samuel, uh, KJ Osborne. I, there's a lot of options there, man. There's the guy, if you want that to be like your third guy, and then if you don't go receiver, you could get some of those guys as your two, and that's some really good twos in there. It's going to take everything in my bones to not advocate for like a one-year deal for Mike Evans because I just like him. Like, oh, he he him. played at Texas A&M. Are you shaking your head because you hate me for that? Take no, I love or... Mike Evans, man. He's He's been so, like, yes. there's certain guys Thank I think they're so underrated. He's underrated and Tyler Locker underrated. Like, they're just... They're not the superstar, but they're just so really good every Gosh, year. Yes. And 
I'll tell you another option that nobody's really talked about. If the Bengals do let T. Higgins walk, in theory, you could go get your Keon Coleman light with somebody like T. Higgins just to take the pressure off of what you would do in the draft unless you were certain that one of these wide receivers that you liked was going to fall to you. But that's if you go rookie quarterback. But we are nearly at the two-hour mark. Nick. Really? Yeah, we got to wrap this up. Uh, our conversations just float. What can we say? It's It's been so much fun. I hope people like this. I mean, we're just talking Bears football. This is the best thing ever. Every time. Uh, do you have any final thoughts on the state of the Bears coming out of the bye? Um, I think right now it's exciting because the Bears are at least winning. We're in games. And the other thing, okay, no matter who you want at quarterback, no matter what you want with Flus, whatever, there's one thing, okay, we need to remember. We only have, we're only guaranteed a minimum of five games left. We got to enjoy these guys. Remember, like, February, and, you know, then we're, uh, we're looking at mock drafts forever. Like, there's a period where there's no football. We have football games. So, no matter who you're rooting for, whatever, just enjoy the Bear games while we still have them this year. I'll tell you what, Nick. Week one kicked me in the nuts so hard that I wished for March. Like, I know those are dog days, but there is part of me that's looking legitimately forward to the offseason. The offseason is fun. You know how many games you lose in April? Zero. Like, <laughs> I mean... It, Everyone's undefeated. Everyone's going to... Every draft pick's going to hit Robert. Everything's sunshine's and rainbows, right? man. Like, I know it's hokey. I know it's corny, but there is part of me that is so beaten down I'm trying to say this is the sunny a disposition as I can. Just because if you're out there feeling this way, I'm right here too. Like, I'm so beaten down by the Bears doing something that I thought was relatively smart and it totally blowing up that I'm I'm sick of it. I want them to do what I want them to do, but then it needs to work because I'm I'm on life support over here. And so as we enter these next five games, I mean, Nick, I'm just dying to know what happens. Part of yeah. me is like, okay, are you gonna are you gonna go one and four? Or are you gonna go four and one? Are you gonna go three and two like everybody expects? Or are you gonna go two and three like everybody should have expected? Like, no way we get a five and zero oh run. Dot dot dot. Right? No way we go zero oh and five. Dot dot dot. Right? right. Like, yeah, I know you go zero oh and five. You're in the you're in the mix for Marvin Harrison with the second one. Like you go five and zero, oh, you're in the mix for the playoffs. You go seven and three, nobody knows what happens. Technically, that's the bar I set early in the season, but to complete it so late feels like a student rushing to finish their homework. Right, Robert? Robert what if? What if? Okay, dream scenario: Chicago goes five and zero, oh, makes the playoffs. Justin Fields goes lights out against. There are some pretty easy defenses here. Okay, you already know you're like, oh yeah, that's our guy. Yeah, and then you have free agent money. People want to come. Then you can go sign your wide receiver too, and then you can make all these moves. How awesome would that be? See, that, I mean, we got to think about the hope here too. There is easy hope. Nick, we are talking about a team that should be should be what was it six and six? Yep. Right now. They should be squarely in the hunt. They yeah. should be just as likely right now as Green Bay feels like they are to run the table and get a decent seed. The fact that they botched not one, but two near historic losses is the whole crux of the issue, isn't it? 
And like, it's one thing to talk about winning ugly, but like this team feels like it deserves to be where it is and where it is has been so woefully unlucky, but that unluck feels like it's showing up because of the coaches and players involved. It is actually, I think Nick, this is one of the most frustrating teams I've watched in maybe my bears fandom. Do you feel that way? Like there are pieces of it that are super fun. I don't want to pretend like it's not fun, but this team really could have been something. You know what I'm saying? I agree. But here's the good part. You know, it's not a trash trash team with zero hope. That's Amen. the good news is oh, you're like, Hey, there's so good out there that, I mean, it's, but here's the other part. We're not living this year in and year out. It's not like it's like the chargers where you're like, man, we got talent everywhere. We can't win games or we always are injured. So there are teams that live this year in and year out, but we're just getting into that glimpse, which means Robert, we're not that far away, which means we can be in every game the rest of the year. We could be in the playoffs and we're right on that cusp and we have two high picks, which is cool. If it wasn't already time for wins and losses, it is time for wins and losses. Like this is, this is the defining stretch, probably more for Matt Eberflus than Justin Fields. I am really worried. I'm not trying to throw out some flaming hot take here at the end, but I am really worried that Eberflus would try to scapegoat Fields one way or another, that this will become a whole like, oh, well, it's the quarterback. Like, I didn't draft this guy, so you give me a quarterback that I like him. Wah, 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 wah. He, he's not good enough at press conferences, I don't think, to pull that off. Well, he'd, it'd be about whether he pulls it off behind closed doors. Yeah, but okay. to your point, he does seem like kind of a goober, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> I, I I trust Ryan Pohl. So whatever he goes with after the Bears make the playoffs and go 5-0, I'm good with it. I'm glad you said that. I think that's where I land. Ultimately, I think the Bears are in really good hands. The roster yep. that's coming together, Ryan Pohl's picked the majority of it. Like the trade that they made for DJ Moore is looking like one of the most historical fleecings in um, NFL history, modern NFL history at the very least. Mm -hmm. But so it's a fun time. It's a fun time to be a Bears fan. You know, the, the other thing, and I, I'll try to make this quick because I know that we were trying to end this. I, I mean, I know we don't know a ton about what's going to happen, but at least we have a team president that is also a little exciting too. Like when's the last time we could say that as Bears fans? I don't know. It's been such Ever? a long time. Ever? You know, like Kevin Warren's like, hey, he, you saw him get it done in the Big Ten. You saw him get it done in Minnesota with the new stadium. You're like, hey, we got some guys in like some of these places we haven't had before. And like, as we know, we talked about this in Carolina, right? It starts with the top down. And right now, if the top is there, the, the bottom should start coming together really quick here. I just feel like that guy, I feel like I'm back in high school where the pretty girl is like flashing you eyes because she thinks it's funny. And I'm sitting there like, stop teasing me with these articles about Kevin Warren wanting to bring in a staff and get everything lined up together. Like, Nick, do you know how excited I would be if the Bears did square up the timelines and everything made sense in Chicago? Like, there's part of me that looks at this, Nick. I, I will say something that is not heartless, but it may come, a come off a bit uh, unfair, right? I think one of the hardest things about the NFL is that the NFL is not a, usually a redemption league. Usually, if you start bad, you are you the player have to do so much more work to keep your confidence up while still avoiding the mistakes that you made that the league benefits these guys like Brock Purdy, you've seen it, that learn small lessons while taking big old confident dubs. Like, dude went what 10 and 0 in his first 10 starts? Was he the reason they were winning? No, 
but he was the quarterback while they were winning. And so he's able to keep that confidence and also get better at the same time. Patrick Mahomes said in that barbershop interview, he didn't know how to read defenses until halfway through his second year. Like, but he was still winning games for somebody like Justin. It is just, I think going to be outstandingly hard for him to get his head right on it or like without ever seeing flashes of things going wrong. Like they now have not one, not, not, not once, not twice, four times in the last two years have the bears blown these massive, massive leads late. It's a disease. There's part of me that thinks he needs a fresh start. Like trying to see things from how Justin field succeeds most. I just can't imagine he's best path to success is Chicago, right? There's too many bad, like, I almost wonder if there's too much bad juju here, but I'm not trying to push him out the door. I promise. I'm just trying to think if I was his agent, a trade sounds pretty good to me. If I was the Bears, trading him might sound okay, maybe, because starting fresh looks so easy. Carolina made it so easy to start fresh for you. And all Tepper wants to keep doing is dig that hole. Big game this weekend, man. That 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 2025 second looks even better too, you know, with how, how they're Ooh. playing. Um, so I guess uh I'll close on this. So there are kind of two bigger tank type games we need to keep an eye on. Um, New England at Pittsburgh. Cannot is, wait. Which is tomorrow, by the this way. Is we're, tonight. We're, we're recording this at eleven forty central. When time you listen on to Wednesday. this, it's tonight, baby. Yeah, this is tonight. So that game, I'm buying the Wi-Fi ugly. on my flight because I have to watch this game. Like ugly, <laughs> ugly. And then Carolina at New Orleans. New Orleans. Um, who knows what's happened with Carr, which could change the aspect of that game. Am I psycho though for sitting here like nobody wins in the Superdome when you're even with the Saints? Like especially when you're worse. Like there's there aren't that many teams that defend their house quite like new Orleans has they this are good. They spooky are good. habit of doing. And yeah. I just can't help but think that if new Orleans brings it, I mean, it's not like Bryce Young's in a good headspace, right? I mean, no, I, I agree with you. And then also Detroit beat new Orleans at new Orleans by five. So if we're going to give them the credit for that, then we have to say that the Carolina can't get it. But then also if we're going to say Detroit's down right now, you know, then their um, offense is up. I guess yeah. <laughs> we, we, we will see. We will see. But then I'm okay. I know it's way down the road, but is this quarterback drama in New York hilarious or what? The way that that works into the new England game that's coming up. It has me rolling. They, they cut Tim Boyle. That was like the most random thing. Well, I think sure? the, I think the implication is that Tim Boyle's the one that leaked the uh Wilson wanting to not do it thing. Really? That was Rogers came out and said, whoever that is, we need to get to the bottom of it and deal with it. And then wow. Tim Boyle gets cut. I'm not uh, it's it's true gut dot connecting. Total speculation. Yeah. But could be could that be. was that was the vibe I got. Um and then also like why would Rogers come back? You know what I mean? With like this. Why would he come back? So you're going to get either Zach Wilson or you're going to get Trevor Simeon against a New England defense. That Am I allowed to say they're balling? No. I mean, but also, like, they play. Six points. They threw a six-point shutout. 
Houston, yeah, to, to the Chargers. Houston at Miami, Washington at Cleveland, at New England. That's who the Jets play. Those are a lot of bad teams besides Miami. I mean, Houston's playing better, but like Washington, Cleveland, New England. It's bad offenses, but I don't know if their their offense is going to score against Cleveland. <laughs> <laughs> we will see. We'll see. It should be fun. This is a great, a great set of races, a great set of races for the tank. Uh, we also got that big time Monday night win by the Bengals that gave the Jaguars yep. a loss that gave the bears their tiebreaker back. We got number one with a <laughs> one and a half game lead. Yeah. I, yeah. Well, yeah. And then, and then you hope uh, Lawrence is back because Carolina plays Jacksonville later in the year too. Right now. I don't know how you're feeling. Okay. Well, this is the last thing I will say. And then the only thing I am allowed to say, I'm signing a mentally legally binding contract is the outro. Right. But if Carolina loses to Atlanta and loses to New Orleans, I think we got it. I have total faith in the Packers to beat this Panthers team. I have total faith in the Jaguars to beat this Panthers team. And then at that point, if I have done the math correctly, they will have that one game to give where what happens in Tampa Bay does not matter. I, I think that they have it no matter what anyway. Right now, it's if New England wins a game, definitely. But like, it's it's if you lose in the Superdome, Bears odds go up. If you lose in Atlanta, Bears odds might hit damn near a hundred. And woo. Anyways, I get it. Anyways, what would you like to say? We we got to cut it, man. We're gonna be at three hours here. Where we aren't, we aren't. (laughs) We're gonna be at two hours and. Uh, 15 minutes but oh thank you so much for listening let us know if you're enjoying the podcast if you made it to this point i don't know post something that says you did because you're a hero like should, should we ask the questions that they have to answer we know if they did um what question do you want to what's your score prediction i don't know there you go. perfect easy easy uh, to tweet us or something maybe send me yeah. an email but anyways we love you guys thank you so much for listening nick what how things going to the dfs world you still hot now, I'm not hot. I'm, I'm a little cold, so we're trying to get bounce back, but I'm still way up on the year. Like, I was going to say. Yeah, I'm like easily four digits up on the year. You're good to go. And so yeah. then keep an eye on DBB as we go through a couple, uh, a bunch of different things. I've got a neat little article that is not coming out soon, but it's coming out soon, if you get what I'm saying. Uh, and so keep an eye out on the channel for streams, anything else that may come up. And until next time, Bears fans, bear down. And thanks so much for bearing with us.